Bam. We're live. We're live. Fresh cup of second coffee. Good morning, Martin. Good morning, Alyssa. Good morning, Mr. Mars. Bruce Wayne. Heidi Krum. Krum? Krum. Krum? Krum. Krum? Austin, good morning. We're ready. I'm ready, too. He's not here. Yami Tinkanen. Tinkanen. He sent me a picture this morning of him training with Bjorgman Carl Goodmanson. And it says, I'm still at the gym with this guy. It might get tight to finish before 4 p.m. I guess that's what time it is over there in the um, cold country. I'll most likely be ready 15 past. Does that work for you? Well, of course it does. Thank you for the heads up. Take your time. No stress. This is just a show that just goes and goes and goes. Carly, good morning. Nizzle, Graham, Christine, Nate, dog. Hmm. What to do for 15 minutes? Yami and I go way back. I mean... I was trying to remember the first time we met. It must be like 2009 or 10. Pretty pretty far back. I, what's weird is, is that already kind of seemed like the second chapter to me at uh, over there at CrossFit Inc. where I used to work. Like 2006, uh, 7, 8, I was kind of just, just had my head down, just making videos. I mean, I got to know everyone, but it was, it was a little bit of a bumpy ride. Um, not in a bad way, not in a bad, just, um, you know, learning stuff. Like when you first learn how to ride a bike, you got to ride off the curb. You got to ride up the curb. You got to learn bunny hops, wheelies, all that stuff. I just had to learn. I had to learn. I was the dirt twirling hippie liberal boy from, uh, from Berkeley. And I was getting immersed in a, um, in a project that in its, in its origins were to, um, build a fitness program that would help, uh, first responders, help people whose lives depended on their fitness. Right. You want to be, you got to climb up into a window. CrossFit was the uh, workout regimen for you, um, and of course, I was just I was just turned on to it um, because I thought it was cool that so many of these things I had never done in my life. I couldn't remember ever running a four hundred meter as fast as I could ever. And here I am at thirty four years old trying it for the first time. Weird. You ever spend any time in San Diego? So on. Yes, I used to live in San Diego. I lived in um, San Diego for three years in Del Mar with uh, Greg Glassman at his house with my wife. And actually, Avi was born in uh, at our home in Berkeley. But then um, we just we we were living with Greg. We had Avi, and then we went back down. And me and Avi and Haley, we all lived in the same house. It was cool, it was so fun. It was full immersion. I can I can't ever. We just worked, 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 and it was play too. It was fun, you know. Uh, it was it was an environment. It was like working in a classroom. I was constantly learning. The company was exploding. It was exploding. I'm trying to remember what years those were. Those were probably like I don't know. I'm just making this up. 2012, 13, 14, or maybe it's 14, 15, 16. I'm not sure. But yeah, I lived down there. Um, uh, Dave was living down there at that time. Uh, there was some, uh, the general counsel was living down there. I think Marshall is down there. Um, uh, there was another uh, guy, um, Steve Weiss, Dale Saran, um, Brian Mulvaney. Everyone was down there. Everyone was down there. I'm actually, when it's, it's weird. I, I now accept, uh, I, I, when I think of where Dave lives now, I do think of him living in Santa Cruz, but forever that was just so weird. I never, 
I never imagined any of us would move up here. Would all live up here. Corey, good morning. Keenan, good morning. Teddy Williams, what's up? San Diego's great. If there was if you had unlimited resources, Cashola, and there was any one place you could live in the world, it would be almost crazy not to put um San Diego at the very, 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 very top of that list. And recently I just spent two weeks in Newport. Oh, I'm so hungry. That's weird. Whenever I think in four hundred shows I've never said that. I just got hungry. I didn't eat yesterday. Yesterday was my fasting day. I've fasted for more than two years. Um, every single, uh, Saturday night to Monday morning, I stopped eating Saturday night and then I started eating again Monday morning. Done that for over two years now. My wife got me onto it. She's like two weeks ahead of me. Oh, already a text from my wife. That's weird. Did the dog eat? Yes. Um, so San Diego just has crazy resources, crazy, crazy resources. Everything's down there. It's expensive, but it's got it all. San Diego also has that thing where, uh, I don't know if we just want to jump right into this, but it, the, I think San Diego School District has that law where you can't um, give kids homework and judge them, grade them based on the homework they turn in because it's racist. So sweet. Oh, the insanity. Um, so today we have Yami uh, Tinkinen. Um, I, 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 may, I, I may have not have seen him. I'm trying, I was trying to remember the last time I saw him. Also, I think he taught with Chuck Carswell a level one in Italy that I went to and filmed in Milan forever ago. I mean, forever ago. And I think maybe that was the last time I, I saw him, but I'm guessing maybe I had to have run into him at the games. Yeah. Newport's crazy. Newport was so nice. It was, it, and it was clean. The only time I was in San Diego, I was there five minutes and had everything stolen from my car in Coronado Beach, safest place in America. Wow. 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 That's a shame, Matt. That sucks. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. I, I don't think of theft happening on, on the island out there. I, I didn't spend much time on the island. It was always, I think I went out there once to film with Andy Stumpf. And then maybe a couple other times. Uh, I don't know why I went out there. But it was just always to do something over there um, where the Navy guys train to film something over there. Nowhere in California is hippie-ish anymore. That's all gone. That's that's. I'm I'm in the I'm supposedly in in the, in the epicenter of that. It's gone. What what happened is is all the real hippies are now really conservative. All the 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 real peace love. Freedom hippies are all conservative and they've that whole thing got fractured, right? In college, there were the two cut there were the two different groups of hippies. There's the group who like, you know, they let like 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 how I kind of fancied myself is like one day I forgot to put my shoes on. I lost my shoes. I never wore shoes again. I got my clothes out of the free box, et cetera, et cetera. I just became I started looking like that because of the lifestyle I lived. And then there was the other group of hippies who were wealthy. And, um, and they would cut the hole in their pants and then sew the patch in, you know, just to, to go for that, that certain look. And there were, the, you know, we, I was the hippie that smoked weed out of an apple. And then there was the other hippie that smoked the weed out of the $350 chillum. Yeah, I said it, chillum, glass chillum. For those of you that know, what is the one question you didn't ask during an interview that haunts you that you didn't ask? 
Jason Watkins. I don't know. I'm sure there's one. I'm, I'm sure there's a bunch. I'm sure there's a bunch. If I think of any, any thoughts on Andrew's new video on Frederick Agidius? I, I didn't even, I didn't see the, I didn't see it. Like how new is it today? I'll go over. When you say Andrew, you mean Mr. Hiller, the Batman. I'll go over here and look real quick. I know I'm crazy impressed by, uh, by Hunter McIntyre. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, I think we got Taylor. Oh, Frederick Agidius invalid. The issues with major penalties. I haven't looked at it, but I but I am going to try to get Andrew Hiller on again this Friday. Um, it, I watched the woman behind uh, the no reps. Uh, oh, that's his chick. Oh, I should have been paying closer attention. I didn't realize there were so many bikini shots of her in the video. I was just listening to it. And then and then I'm, I started listening to this one. Uh, ben Smith and I reprogrammed the semifinals one, and uh, I'll finish that. And then I'll get to this Frederick. Um, the Giddies one. I don't really know Frederick that well. I just know I'm just in passing. Just like, hi, how are you? Congratulations on you and your wife both being amazing. I'm stoked from they have a kid. I'm excited Annie's coming on. I'm really curious to hear her thoughts on raising a kid. Man, one, I, I, I was kind of tripping on how much um, she trains. She must be torn, just wanting to spend every second with her kid. Watch it with Yami. Uh, uh, ah, Philippe, Mr. URL man. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you. I'm looking, I'm looking through my um, notes for my live call-in shows to see if there's anything on here that, that I could talk about. Everything I have on here is just so heavy. And I don't, oh, here's something fun. Okay, okay, okay. So this, uh, let me share this screen. This is good. This is good. I thought this was cute. Uh, here we go. CrossFit leadership is a coachable skill. Leadership is a coachable skill by Michael Lorenzen. And uh, this was published on May 10th, 2022, which is uh, six days ago. I'm going to read you the first sentence, and then I'm going to skip down to the last paragraph, okay? You guys ready? This is uh, – I don't even know where this is. This is on um, CrossFit.com forward slash pro coach forward slash leadership is a coachable skill. I didn't even know that they were – I didn't even know they published stuff like this anymore. I, is this the CrossFit Journal? What is this thing? Is it – what a bizarre – isn't it bizarre that they bought – CrossFit, I mean, I guess it was weird that when Greg got rid of it, but they bought CrossFit Inc. and they own the um, the best fitness, nutrition, health journal in the world, and yet it's still hidden. You'd think there'd be a link up here on the top that says CrossFit Journal. Uh, here we go. The leader, Leadership is a Coachable Skill, um, Michael Lorenzen, May 10th, 2022, just a couple days ago, less than a week. When I started coaching gymnastics in the mid-80s, coaches didn't often take courses on coaching, communicating, listening, influencing, or any other aspect of leadership. We just copied what we saw or what you might call pattern matching. If a coach, if, if a coach I respected offered a correction to a skill, I followed their instruction. That's the first uh, three or four sentences. Looks like it's a good article. And then down here, there's a, um, a picture. At the, the last paragraph is a picture of Dave Castro at the uh, swim event in which looks like um, San Diego or Los Angeles. And in the picture I see, uh, I see Lucas 
Parker. I see Lucas Parker, Josh Bridges, Dave Castro. It looks like Tommy Hackenbrook all talking on the beach, Cole Sager, and they're, and they're having a chat. And this is the final paragraph of, of this article, which I find fascinating that this was published six days ago. Okay, this was published six days ago on the CrossFit website. Here we go. A final thought, a great example of effective leadership in our community is Dave Castro. From the outside, people have a lot of opinions of Dave they encounter on social media or TV. You might guess that he lives on the left side of the continuum. And I thought the same. After judging a decade worth of CrossFit games, I learned that Dave has a really nuanced and effective understanding of leadership. The people I worked with. The people I worked under at the games, mostly seminar staff, are the most talented, professional, and inspirational group of humans I've ever encountered. And they would all run through walls for Dave. Even if it seemed like he was a crazy man ordering unreasonable changes, he effectively built personal, authentic relationships with each of them and understood how they worked and what they needed. He developed a sustainable, intrinsically motivating culture with his people. And when I would have – and when I would have – Rare individual encounters with Dave, he inevitably came across as kind, gentle, and open. I suspect this is a result of life as a SEAL. The more elite the unit in the U.S. military, the flatter, the hierarchy, the more independent, and the greater levels of intrinsic motivation and inspirational leadership. Dave models all of those things and is adept at applying the right tool for the right person in the right circumstance. That should be all of our goals as coaches who lead. It's it's it's, it's an entire article um, – on the uh, CrossFit site from six days ago on leadership. And then the final paragraph is, is, is Dave as an example. Doc, hey, hey, Yami. Hey. Yami, do you know this guy, Dr. Mike uh, Lorenzen? No, hey, I don't think I do. No. I don't recognize the name either. Maybe we no. would recognize him if we saw him. Maybe, yeah. Yami, I was trying to remember the the first time we met and the last time we saw each other. I couldn't, I couldn't remember either. Were you at that um, level one in, in Milan that I went to and Chuck Carswell was there? Does that sound familiar at all? Mm, no, I don't think so. When it was, was it a shoot? It was at an indoor shooting range. Oh yeah. 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 I was there. We've seen after that for sure. But yeah, that was in that like crazy, they had laser tag and indoor yeah. shooting and yeah. Yeah. I was there. They, I they was ended there. up being a competitor of CrossFit, right? They ended up like opening their own, like, Quick, yeah dude, those guys they they were, they were, yeah there was a whole thing there was a whole thing yeah they were pretty um they were like ambitious ambitious entrepreneurs i don't blame yes. them. yes i don't blame them. yeah for sure for sure you're in iceland i'm now in amsterdam um i am in iceland but we just flew in uh sunday yesterday yeah we flew in yesterday and we were just just at the gym training a little bit no it's shit you're getting ready it's that close yeah a couple of days couple of days and then we get going with the semifinals are you pumped i'm excited i'm excited to see uh i mean especially you know i've done this with bk so many times i've done this with annie so many times but now we have the team competing this weekend as well so it's gonna be a different experience it should be exciting uh we have a bjorgvin carl goodmanson annie thor's daughter katrin david's daughter um we have uh tola yeah morakinio morakinio Morocano. Yes. Um, we have uh, uh Mr. Porter, Con Porter. Yes, Mr. Porter. Um we have is, is Frederick competing? Uh yeah, he's gonna do the uh age group qualifiers the weekend after the semis, but not this weekend, right? And then we have Lauren Fisher on the team. Right. 
as well. And then in a couple of weeks, we had Hedrick Hoppelainen also, who was 17th last year. Yeah. Wow. Hey, um, Henrik's not compete, not um, uh, training in Iceland. No, he's training in Finland. He sometimes trains with Jonne as well, and uh, he's got another training partner, uh, Ludwig. Um, but yeah, typically he's in he's in Finland. Yeah. Uh, are is it a? Uh, you met Annie in two thousand ten. Yeah, in Hamstad. I think you were there actually. Were you there in Hamstad for those regionals? Is that England? Where's Homstad? Homstad is in Sweden. It's like where Eliko headquarters. Oh yes, I was there. Yes, 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 yeah, yes. Yeah. That's where you guys met. Yeah, I mean, she was just this like raw diamond. You know what I mean? Like that, yeah. the amount of pure potential that she had, but she just hadn't been coached in CrossFit. Really. That was a that was a sectional, right? Yeah, that's it. That would... Yeah, yeah, sectional. That's it. Wow, I do remember that. I, I'm um, Miko kind of stole the show there. Yeah, well, actually, I, I came there to work with Miko as an osteopath. Okay. You know, that's why I was there um, that year. So it turned out really well. Okay. Um, what, what, how is this? Um, is this the first team you've ever trained? Uh-oh. He froze. Did I freeze? Did I do that? Yami froze. Did he freeze for you guys? Someone comment. I hear Yami's voice every single time I break a barbell set. Back to the bar. Get back. No, that that wasn't Yami. I don't think that was Yami. I think you're confusing that with someone else. That was um. That was Sarah's coach. Uh, Yami, really quick before I get back to the question, that yeah. wasn't you in that video who's saying "back to the bar, back to the bar," yelling that at Sarah Sigmund's daughter. No, that was not me. Yeah, so Brandon yeah. Waddell thought that was you. Totally different character. That guy is, I don't even know if that guy's around anymore, but that was not Yami. Yes, that's someone else. <clears throat> what was that guy's name? Uh, it's John Singleton, probably. No, I no, think no, Eric, no, it was. Oh, Eric Laukelner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like the yeah. exact opposite of John Singleton. <laughs> they were the dynamic duo back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, is, is John Singleton's not Finnish, is he? No, he's British. British, okay. Yeah, we went to school together, actually. No shit. Yeah, osteopathy. Before CrossFit. Yeah, I I crossed. I started two thousand six. I was living in France at the time. Then I came to London to study, and I introduced John to CrossFit. So, so tell me that story again. What, what? Tell me about two thousand six in France. How, how you ran across CrossFit? Weird yeah. because um, CrossFit <clears throat> kind of. I mean, I guess it's going in France, but it never just like really caught on there. Yeah, so I think now actually it's it's a really huge growing market. So I, I they, I think I lived in France for four years. I think that the culture is a little bit slow to adapt new things, but then they embrace them when they get it, you know, really get into it. Um, yeah, so I was in in France uh, from two thousand two two thousand six, and it was two thousand six. I was doing martial arts. I was training. Which one? I, wanted, uh, I did at the time. My background is in judo, so competing judo. But then um, I was doing Wing Chun. I was so excited that, you know, the, the guy who was teaching us, Sifu Didier Bedar, he was a student of William Chung who trained with Bruce Lee. So it's very exciting for me as a young man uh, to be training in that academy. And yeah, I was just training a lot. I thought I was in really good shape. I was, you know, training 10, 11 sessions a week. And then I found CrossFit and realized that I was not in a good shape at all. And and how did you find it in France? By the way, did you know Dave's a huge fan of Bruce Lee? Did you guys know that? Did you know that? I didn't know that. No huge huge yeah. i mean like the same way the way you talk about it like he influenced you he influenced dave greatly 
Yeah, I think that there's just so much good philosophy of thinking about integrating different things in, in different styles, you know. Um, yeah, for sure. Huge influence for me growing up. Still is. Um, still is. A little bit less so now, but still definitely significant figure. Um, yeah, go ahead. And CrossFit in France, how did it pop on your radar? Because I remember being – I went to France one time to visit a CrossFit gym there. And there weren't a lot of CrossFit gyms there at the mm -hmm. time. And I remember walking around Paris and I never even saw anyone jogging. Yeah. No, mainly just smoking and yeah. eating croissant. Yeah. No, I mean, the culture is changing. It's shifting for sure. But especially for women, I think that the traditional French image was different and now it's changing. It's really great to see. But I, you know, I found it online. I was just looking. I was always just curious. So I was just looking for different ways to train, you know, get an edge on the other people who I was training with. You know, they were technically better. So I thought if I'm in better conditions, I have a better chance. Um, and I just, you know, it was Alta Vista back in the day, not, no Google. Uh, and I just searched uh, training methods. I, I, I think I came to, you know, you know like T Nation and then Cyberpump. If you know that website used to exist, it was like big high intensity training, like weight training page. And then somehow managed to uh, stumble across crossfit.com and it you know i was working at a hotel night shift at that time and uh i just spent all my night shifts just reading crossfit journal you know everything that greg glassman wrote and trying to integrate it think about it put it in practice in training how did you know how did you know when you came across it you're like okay this is it this is what i'm gonna f dive in on <sighs> yeah I, I think there's two things one i had trained since i was six so i had a, like a good feel of you know what works for my oh. body um, so when I tried CrossFit for the first time, it was like, wow, uh, it was very, very different hit than what I was used to. And, and, and then the other side of it was the kind of the intellectual aspects to fitness that I think he really brought into it. Like thinking deeply first principles would be trendy to say nowadays, like thinking true first principles, um, about fitness. And that appealed to me intellectually, like immediately as well. Obsessed with learning is how you've described yourself. Yes. I feel like that's a appropriate um to, to the point to where you listen to books at two speed and three speed yes especially when i was teaching the level once and traveling all the time and that's what i did like going like i tried to read a book every weekend when i was doing that just like the airport time and like all the wow air, airplane time yes it's not wow. as intense right now because you know that try to balance it with work so that it's not everything is not so intense all the time but yeah there was a period when i, I was doing that so, so in 2000, um, how did you end up in France from Finland? You're, you're Finnish, correct? Yeah, I'm Finnish. Um, I finished school and then before going to university, I had studied French for a really long time, but I felt like I can't speak French and it was really frustrating to me. So there was an opportunity from Finland, um, to go and work at Euro Disney in Paris. And so I, wow. yeah, so I took a job interview got hired and then just was, I was going to go for six months and then I went, went there. Then I found a martial arts school three months later and I was like, wow, this is what I kind of always wanted to do. I kind of wanted to become a martial arts instructor. Um, and then through that, I found a school, Chinese medicine school through someone in that school. And I started to study Chinese medicine in France. So then I stayed for my studies. I went to work, but I stayed for the studies. Afterwards. What did you do at Disneyland? Um, I did a couple of different things. I did what's called a guest flow. So it's kind of making sure that people stay where they need to stay during parades and shows and uh -huh. things like that. And then I did guest services, which was like guided tours, VIP tours, and dealing with all the complaints and all the issues in the park on like a guest level. And you spoke at the time, uh, Finnish, English, and French. 
Yeah, the French came after, let's say, six months of having a headache every day. Then I started to. I, I have this distinct memory of dreaming in French and being like, "Wow, this something changed in my brain." Wow. And yeah. so those are your. Do you have any other languages besides those three? I mean, those are enough. But yeah, I can fake. I can fake a couple languages. Like I can fake a little bit of Italian, Spanish, and German. But you know, it becomes quickly obvious that I don't actually speak them. And now my new project. I moved to Iceland, so my new project is I'm going to learn Icelandic. I don't know how long it's going to take me, but I will. Do you think you're going to stay there? Like, is it home? Yeah, for now, it's going to be home, at least. We'll see how long, but for now, it makes a lot of sense to be there. So I officially live in Iceland right now. When you say it uh, it makes sense to be there, um, and I know this is a little bit loaded, uh, Mm. but does that mean uh, another year beyond this year, meaning that you don't think this is just a one-off Annie does the teams and then, and then the, it disbands. No, there is definitely uh, going to be more to come. I feel like we're just, just getting started. I mean, with, let's say with this generation of athletes that we have right now uh, and the team, and then, you know, I think that there's a lot of future generations coming from Iceland as well. So it'd be nice to actually build something in there, you know, that's more long lasting. Um, anyone in specific you're talking about? Because the, the, the generation that you're working with, I, I've been extremely pessimistic about and, and, and unjustifiably so. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I thought um, I, I would never have guessed and f- I would never bet five dollars that Annie would be on podium last year. It really is truly one of the most remarkable things I've ever, 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 ever seen in the sport. It's uh, it's it's I, I, I mean, she was at the 2009 games. <clears throat> yeah. She had a yeah. baby. She had a massive injury. And and those two girls she was on the podium with are, are the two best. I mean Yeah. Like those are the those are the those are the two best ever. I mean, I don't I think if um any of the any of those three girls who are on the podium can go to any of the games and, and win, I think. I mean, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. I you know, I, I've said this every time. Last year was like holding things together with duct tape and chewing gum. You know, every day was a struggle and a challenge and we were able to yeah because of logistics or injuries or um, that there's a baby that there's a baby or or, i mean it's just yeah like it's everything right like it's just like her getting used to being a mom and what that entails on day to day yeah and then coming back from you know pretty traumatic childbirth uh that was not easy to recover from and and then you know or everything that you have to deal with as an athlete with your identity between being a you know professional right. athlete and being a mom and and you know being a girlfriend to to frederick and and everything else you know like that there's a lot to manage and then just having you know some things post pregnancy that need to be de- needed to be dealt with um so just keeping her body you know doing things that her body could handle on a given day and that was always variable you know that would always be a moving target so we had to constantly adapt things and i think that was like that was such a good learning experience because there was, you know, every day was a new challenge basically, but keeping, you know, being able to keep that together, that was really what I refer to as like with the duct tape and chewing gum, you know, just trying to keep the boat afloat for long enough for it to make it to the harbor. I, I, I want to come back to this. I got too many threads open right now. I want to, I want to finish this. Uh, uh, I really want to come back to this. It's, it's fascinating. Um, the, the team, uh, the team. I want to talk about the team in future years. Okay, so let's go back. So, so you go when you go to um, France and you start uh, martial arts. Had you done martial arts before then? Yeah. So I started judo when I was six. Okay. And I was kind of like I was good enough to make it to the national team, so that wow. they would have someone to be thrown around, and I could go 
compete internationally to lose a ma- game, you know, a match. That was kind of my level. So I was, I was like a good athlete. I, I knew how to train hard, but I always thought too much to be a good athlete. You know, like to, this. Oh, interesting. Was, yeah, yeah. Too analytical for my own good. You know, not necessarily in a productive way, like someone like Fikowski would be in, in, in CrossFit, but maybe more in like uh, generating too much anxiety in competition setting about worrying all, about all the potential outcomes and things like that. So I think, yeah. I think I knew relatively early on that I'd probably make a better coach than an athlete, but I also loved pursuing that side. You know, these, um, I, I, I can see that in you, um, that, that as I, as this is a little bit of time I've spent with you, like I, I see you like that as an analytical person or someone who's thinking, not that you're not present, but that you're present with your thoughts. And what's interesting is when I think of people like Rich Froning, I don't think that I just think of him as a good old boy, you know, just like, I just get out there and work. But if you talk to him, he, he, um, on, he's, he's sitting in his motor home at night during the games. And he's not sleeping and he's running through exactly what you said, all the possible outcomes. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating. That's a must though, isn't it? To be successful. Oh, to be able to be self-aware and. Analytical. Well, well yeah. but, but you, yeah. And to, and to, and to be going through the processes, that's part of it. Doing that work at night. It's, it's not just managing that thing and telling it to be quiet. It's, it's, um, it's attending to the thoughts, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that the, the more, more mature I, I get, the more I realize that it's good to accept yourself as you are and learn how to manage yourself, you know, rather than try to change yourself to be something you're not. So I think it is important, but I do think that athletes deal with it differently. There are athletes who don't think about it so much. You know, they will get nervous and stressed and they have to deal with it, but they might not be, you know, not everyone will think about what's the seventh order consequence of this action. You know, some people are happy with the first or the second order consequence, and that's okay for them. And that makes it, I think, the process more manageable. There's less permutations of what's possible, you know. What does that mean, the seventh order versus the first order? What does that mean? What's what's order mean? Right, like what's order in this, like, okay, if I do this now, if I spill this water, the table is going to be wet. And then there may be the second daughter is, but I might slip on that water that went on the floor. Now. Oh, shit. And then the next is like, maybe I need to go to hospital this weekend and now I can't copy coaching, you know? So it's like that. Wow. Like, so, so, it, wow. I never thought of it like that. So, so the chess player that we admire who can think seven moves ahead to, to fix a solution also is tortured by those same thoughts by having to think <laughs> by thinking seven moves ahead on something that's irrelevant and out of their control. Yeah, yeah, like all this, these superpowers have the kryptonite to them as well, for sure. Okay, so um, and uh, what's his name? Does uh, so your your program is called the training plan? Yes, yes. And then the other judo guy, his program is called Training Think Tank. Yeah, Max. I was actually just uh, <laughs> Sarah was training with us, so Max was there. Um, I just came from the gym with them. Sarah, by the way, said, "Why don't you call her no more?" And she would love to be on the show. She told me to tell you, <laughs> Sarah, that door has been open for you forever. I will. I, as soon as we're done here, you know, it's hard about um, communicating with her. Actually, this is just me being a baby. First of all, she's always welcome on the show. I love her on the show. She's dope. Um, but uh, her phone is uh, finicky. Do, do you text with her or do you DM with her? She responds to DMs very quickly. But when I text with her, it's, it's uh, you know, she's sometimes she's blue. Sometimes she's green. I never know whether she got them. Do you text with her? I think Instagram is the fastest way to reach her. No, it is. But okay. I encourage people to do that. But still. <clears throat> okay. Okay. I just assume like someone like her, her um, inbox must be just a shit show. I can only imagine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'd like to dig through it one day. If she ever wants to give me her password, I'd love to dig through it. I, have I some feel pic- like uh, I have some pictures I'm after. I feel like that's a definitely never going to happen. <clears throat> I agree, but we can dream. We can dream. <laughs> we can dream. Sarah, send me your uh, access to your Instagram account. Okay, so um, so then you you go to France, and that's when the whole the Chinese medicine thing stops starts up. The yeah. um, what'd you call it? Osteopath. Yeah, so the, so I went to my idea, this very like uh, somehow naive, idealistic idea as a young man was, you know, if I can learn how to harm with my hands, I have to heal with my hands. So I wanted to have the Chinese medicine and the martial arts as a balance, like a very traditional Chinese Kung Fu movie kind of thing. Um, and then when I studied Chinese medicine, there was a lot of that. Chinese medicine is very hard to understand for a Western mind if you don't understand Chinese language. I think it's so much of it is metaphor and Chinese language is very much a metaphor uh, in itself. So I was always more interested in the manual side of things. So I did acupuncture, I did um, manual therapy, but the manual therapy was always interesting. And we had a couple of people who were osteopaths, French trained osteopaths, which is a little different than what I did, but they were very good with their hands. And I, I wanted that, you know, I was like, wow, they, you are better than our teachers with what you do with your hands. It's like, I want to learn that. Where can I go? Um, is, is, what what you said there, if you don't speak Chinese, Chinese medicine can be hard to get your head wrapped around. Is that because the Western mind is always in um, duality that it's it's not present? Yeah, I, I, I the lang the, the language supports that. Let me give you just one quick mm-hmm. example. I could say to you, I don't like Yami, and people would jump to the conclusion that I dislike you. Mm-hmm. when really all I'm pointing at is that I don't like you and that maybe the option is, is that I love you, but the Western mind does, it doesn't stay still mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and just sit there and be like, okay, well then we don't know what house. Yeah, that's always this too. Yeah. yeah it, it always has to be jumping and grasping at something as opposed to if I said, I dislike you, then it would be very clear that I dislike you. Is, is that yeah. it? Is it something in there? That's it, the- it's something. Yeah. I think that, that that's something to that, that, that kind of Western duality concept. Absolutely. But I think it's also learning how to read between the lines. And if you don't understand the language, reading between the lines is very difficult. I just went, felt that there was a lot of metaphor that, you know, what you learned in a, a book that was translated, let's say I was studying in French. So it was translated from Chinese to French. So we'd lost something in translation already and interpretation of the author who translated it then I'm trying to read this text and then I'm trying to understand what it means when the dragon lands on the well on a spring day, you know, not that extreme, <laughs> but I was say, like, say that again. I like that. <laughs> yeah. What when the mean? dragon lands on this, on the, on the well, on the, on the well, on, on the spring, in a, in a spring day, on a spring okay. day. But okay. you know, I, that's not really a real example, but it's, it's kind of to give the idea that the, the language is so poetic that you need to have quite a deep cultural understanding to be able to read between the lines. And I, I've always felt that if I want to learn something, I want to learn it deeply. Like I want, I want to understand the principles so I can apply them. If I just know the technicalities, it's like, it just doesn't click with me. I, I don't feel like I know it. You know, it's like uh, Richard Feynman, you know, to know the name of the bird is not to know the bird. You know, it's kind of like you need to understand deeper. And I just felt like I can, I will never reach, I'm not willing to invest that much time to learn the Chinese language and culture to then be able to get deep into that topic. Um, and that's why I was like, mm, this is enough for me. I did a diploma and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And and that's where you met Singleton. Yeah. John was in the same school as me. In, uh, I'm just school of tripping on that. Yeah. Are, you, are you tripping on that? Isn't that weird? It is weird. It, it, it was he, what was his background? Do you know if he was in martial arts? Yeah, he actually was. He went to China to study uh, Kung Fu. He was in a, like a school, 
Chinese Kung Fu school for a while. So he was also very serious about martial arts. Yeah. Um, so all three of you are a little bit um, uh, overachiever eccentric. Um, you, uh, John, and um, and uh, Max. Max. Max, got, Max was I, – I, I, it's been a long time since I spoke with him. But um, not a long time. There's just been a lot of people – a lot of shit has forgotten from my brain. But he was obsessed. <laughs> yeah. And he came from a – he was a real uh, – I, th- I think he took it to the level that you took it to, like the national level. Mm. And yeah. it was judo. His was judo too, right? Was it judo or rest? I'm not 100% sure. Actually. Sambo? That's interesting. I need to speak with him about it. I didn't realize, actually, that he had done judo. Maybe I did. I don't know. You I guys both aren't real. You guys aren't really, um, I was going to say, aren't really big speakers. You're both big speakers, but you guys don't um, engage unnecessarily. In what context? I'm just saying, like, you, if, if the two of you were in a room and you were training your athletes and he was training his athletes, it wouldn't be weird if you guys didn't talk. Yeah, we would you say guys hi. Are, you guys... Yeah, we would definitely say hi. We'd be friendly and we'd talk. Like we might talk about something really random. Then um, we certainly spoke today, but we also like I think we respect each other as professionals and we both understand what it takes. So then we leave each other, you know, the space to to do the work that we need to do. What gym are you guys at? Can you say? Yes. Uh, oh, maybe I shouldn't, but I will say we went to CrossFit Amsterdam. It's uh, if you have never seen this gym, it's just really beautiful. They have their own boats. They're just by the water. Apparently, um, so the guy, Jarno, I think he's the, I don't know if he's the only owner, but he's been there for a really long time. I did his level one back in the day. We've known each other for over 10 years. This was the first time I got to go see his box and it's a just, it's a great space. And yeah, they have access to the water. You could go jump and swim straight from there. You could do a swim workout from the gym, basically in a canal and they have their own boat, which is random. Oh, that, that bring, I know, fuck, I'm all over the place, but that brings me, that is really random by the way. And I, I wonder how many gyms have that, but that brings me to this. I saw this on your Instagram. Um, and uh, speaking of jumping in a river, this is pretty awesome right here. <clears throat> this is pretty awesome. Where this is in Geneva. No, this is in Thune. Yeah, this is in Thune. So this river, what's where, what country is that? That's in Switzerland. Yeah, okay. it's in Switzerland. And uh, yeah, there is this bridge. There are higher bridges. This was the one I chose to jump from. Well, it's not the bridge. It's the water. Look how aggressive yeah. that water is. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. You just want to stay on the surface. You don't want to dive. Otherwise, you don't know where you end up. Um, who's who's that who jumped in with you? Uh, that is uh, Reto. He was one of our clients at our gym in London. And And where do you get out? Oh, there are like a couple spots. There are some sta- stairs like on the left that you can't see, like a little ladders that you can get out. And it gets calmer, like, you know, further down so you can get out a little easier. Yeah, it looks hairball. I just picture like another 100 yards. You guys went over a 200-foot waterfall. Yeah, yeah, basically. There is there is actually a waterfall at the end. There's like a little dam, so you don't want to go that far. Uh, but that, that's so good. And it's like it's so hot in Switzerland. You know, it's like 30, 35 centigrade. So like let's say 100 degrees or so Fahrenheit in the summer. So that's pretty sweet. This is actually coming back from the gym, like to go to the gym, train, jump. And this river takes, and it took us straight to uh, his place actually. So, oh, no shit. Yeah. So you get out and you're there. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Did you do that a bunch of times? Mm-hmm. Every time I could. Yeah. When I was there, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's awesome. Wow. What a great story. You work out at the gym then you jump in a fast-moving river, and it takes you to your front door. 
Yeah, exactly. And people there will have like dry bags with them. So they put all their stuff and they actually use this in the summertime as like a means of short distance transportation, you know? Is this someone in the window too? I just noticed I'm watching you uh, right there. Is that a lady? Oh, yeah, I don't know who that is. They, they probably get the show. I mean, that bridge is people are jumping from it all the time when it's warm. So is that legal? Probably. I mean, in the US, they'd never allow that. That's yeah. far too far. Too there, there are far bridges that are like three times taller than that that lead to a similar river that people are jumping from. So, if they are allowed, then I think this one is good to go. It's good. So, um, so you are you do this program, and then and then you just you never knew John Singleton. Is that John? Uh, what do you what's mean? What's Singleton's oh, first name? John. Yeah, John, John, you you didn't know John before. You meet him in the in the Chinese school of medicine, and then oh, and then, school. Sorry, in London. That's okay. My bad. And yeah. then, um, oh, you meet him at, you don't meet him in France. No. So I, I study in France. I graduate from my school. I apply for osteopathy school in London and then okay. I moved to London from Paris and start my studies there. And that dude, and, and at that point you're already doing CrossFit. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. I, I had done CrossFit at that point for like a year and a half coming on two years. And so you say to him, Hey dude, you want to try this CrossFit shit out? And he says, sure. Yeah, I think it was kind of like I was training. I would always go at lunchtime and people were wondering what I was doing. And then I was training in a park at the time. It, like the, I only, the first time I went to a CrossFit gym anywhere in the world was uh, 2009. You know, until then, I just trained outside in the park. I, I'd have a set of rings and I had a kettlebell that I went to buy. And I didn't have a car in London, so I had to carry this kettlebell for like a couple of miles just to get it home. It's a 24, so nothing too heavy, but it was still an effort yeah. at the time. Um, yeah, I would just have two kettlebells, a set of rings, and then a park. That had, there was like a pretty nice two loops, like a 400 and a 600 meter run loop. Um, and yeah, most of my training was done there. And then sometimes the university had a gym. I I have a good story. I, I went, there, there was like a really, the, the gym was really bad, but they had this old pulley machine that I would do pull-ups from the pulley machine. So like this like thick, thing and uh maybe my best claim to fame was I, I was able to do one lunch break i did it's a dusty room as well i did 34 rounds of cindy holding on to this like thick thick beam instead of doing like a proper pull-up bar wow probably my all-time best performance in anything in crossfit but yeah it was it was like nothing fancy for yeah for a really long time for me in crossfit i did um six months of schooling at the university of london and the gym there was so bad mm-hmm I, at the time, I didn't think it was bad, but now looking back in hindsight, I mean, it was bad. I mean, I had fun there, but it was just a small room, tiny, with yeah. just old ass pulleys everywhere. That's kind of how it was in my school as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just just crazy pulleys. Not even it was good clear pulleys. that no one else trained there. Like it was me, and then a couple people started to join me. But yeah, it was just like yeah, not good. Yeah, I think it was just me and just tons of Middle Eastern dudes. Oh, funny. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, you had this team comes together. Mm -hmm. um, are, are is this the first team you've done? Yeah. So I was saying before we got disconnected um, was that uh, we worked with uh, CrossFit Solid, which was a Swedish team when they finished fifth at the games. This was many years back, but not like this, not directly. I just helped them with programming and they figured things out. Um, but yeah, this is the first time I'm working with a team in this capacity and like this intensely. I mean, obviously, like everyone's committed, everyone's moved to Iceland for this project, you know. So yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting. And definitely, is there any 
Is there any part of you that's um? I mean, as the coach, you don't have you don't. I mean, I guess you still have BKG, but is there any? And I don't know how much say you have in it, but is there any part of you that was like? You have to swallow like no. I just want to work with Annie and BKG, and like mm-hmm. when you first hear like a little kid that doesn't want change. <clears throat> yeah, no. When Annie told me that she wanted to go team, and she called me. I mean, I said this before, but like, I, I there were two things that she was going to tell me. She was either going to tell me that she's pregnant again, and or she was going to tell me that she wants to go team. And um, how did you know that? Because the way she prefaced the phone call, "Hey, can we talk today at four? And you're like, "That's weird. She doesn't normally. She would just call." Yeah, yeah, there was yeah, there was a little bit of that. They were just known each other for so long. I, I felt like it was in the air. We hadn't okay. really spoken about the team, but I think we had mentioned it fleetingly in the past, and it just felt like that's what it's going to be. So when he ta- she told me, I was like, "Yeah, let's do it," um, because I believe that this is going to help her grow also as an individual athlete. And I think honestly, Annie is in the best shape she's ever been. Like it's. I heard you say that a couple yes. days ago in an yeah. interview. Yes, she like it's pretty amazing actually that she is in such a good shape. Obviously we've had to modify the training. There's less individual training and more team training and more tactics and learning how to deal with the worm and everything that goes with the team, you know, but I always felt that this is going to be an opportunity from her, like specifically from her perspective, it's going to be an opportunity to grow as an athlete and as a human in a way that's going to help her if she wants to do individual competitions in the future. So I was, that's why I was like, okay, let's use this to take you to the next level. Um, And I've heard you, I've heard you talk about that too. In the in the end, this isn't uh, – or maybe at the top of the pyramid. I forget exactly how you phrased it, but this is about just growing as a human. It looks like people are doing CrossFit. It looks like people are training. It looks like people are coaching. It looks like people are running a business. But in the end, it's, it's all really just human growth. It's just progress of just becoming a better human every single day or expanding your your capabilities, your abilities, your awareness. Yeah, and I think it's also about – uh, I am the kind of person that I need to feel like my work is meaningful. And I remember there is this very good video. Uh, it's on YouTube somewhere. There's like Jewish rabbi who talks about the story of two vagrant, you, you know, people who just like just these two people just standing around, they get arrested by the police and they're being asked, what are you doing? And the one person says, I'm doing nothing. And the other one is asked, well, what are you doing? Saying, Oh, I'm helping the other guy. And the moral of the story is that if you're helping someone who's doing nothing, then you're doing nothing. Mm. And that really stuck with me. So when I think about coaching, when I think about like one, helping the athletes grow as people and using this context as the means to that end very much, I think that the other side that's really important and makes the work really meaningful is the inspiration that these athletes can have on other people's lives. You know, if they can get other people off the couch or they can get, you know, especially female athletes can get, little girls inspired to feel like they can be something, especially in countries where it's not so easy traditionally. And I've had enough stories about that in regards to specifically, for example, Annie, that it, that's really the other important aspect for me. So it's like the growth of the human, individual human, but it's also kind of like some kind of a contribution in one way or the other for humanity, at least through inspiration. So I think that's really important. Do you, do you have a girlfriend? Mm. Let's not talk about my private life. We are in a little <laughs> bit of a situation right now, so no. do, Let me ask you: Do you have kids? No kids. No. Okay. Because I, 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 I was thinking about that about the commitment of. I, I mean, you've picked up your life and you've gone to Iceland. And mm-hmm. what, what made me think of it is there, there's in one of the videos I was watching. Um, I was watching um, uh, BKG and uh, Katrin and Annie talk, and they were speaking in Icelandic, and it was being translated on the bottom. And I really like I, it, it for, even though I have no idea what they're saying, 
uh, it really resonated with me. Like these are three people from this island. This is their home. They speak the same language. And then I was like, wow. And Yami picks up his life and goes there. Is there any, um, and, and you that's your whole life for the last. Yeah. Uh, right. Long time. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and how old are you? Um, I'm 39. 39. I guess that's not that old. I didn't have my mm. first kid till I was 43, but is there any, do you, and, and, and being a thinker, do you think about where you're going to just finally land or, or no? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. And I feel like I have more clarity. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for me, you know, Iceland right now, for example, as a place to live, you know, indefinitely, it's, it's, that, that absolutely would work for me, you know, as long as it, I can get it, out it of would. there every now and then. Yeah. I mean, it's just funny, like coming to Amsterdam, I was just showing like to Max, I was showing two picture, like, pictures of his Iceland, beautiful, you know, scenery in Iceland, but the colors are very dull, you know, in Iceland, like the, there are no vivid colors in Iceland, at least this time of the year. And then coming to Amsterdam and, you know, there's everything is so lush and everything is so green and bright and radiant. There is a stark contrast that was kind of interesting to see now that I spent so much time in Iceland in, in one go, you know, so there are things that Iceland doesn't have to offer, but as long as you get to travel, I think it's, it's absolutely fine. There is the presupposition that um, relationships would be harder for someone who's traveling, but, but maybe it's not, maybe that's just bullshit. Mm, maybe I it's just so. maybe yeah i mean i mean i i was never i was never home uh for the first you know five six seven eight years of my crossfit journey and and, and it works yeah yeah it certainly has worked for me in the past as well for a long time so yeah absolutely i think you can you can make it happen but you need to um be the right kind of people for it to work like it has to work for both parties it, it, and if and if you can do that you can do anything Yes. Yes. Although it's very different to spend time together versus spend time apart. You know, that's also, it could also go so that you can spend time apart, but you can't spend time together when it's, you know, extended periods of time. Well, so I think it's both ways. It's funny you say that we, the hardest part for me in my relationship was always the, the, the day I came back. Cause I would have a little bit of OCD. Mm -hmm. Like I would come back and the entry was hard. Like, Hey, where, like, where's my shit? <laughs> yeah i mean i when i did the level ones i would do like years when i did 48 seminars in a year so i was on the road almost all the time so like just living out of a bag basically living out of a go rock for that and, time yes and and you um uh and you were flow master yeah yeah pretty early on i think it was 2011 or 2012 i started to do flow master yes are you are you glad you had that experience the whole l1 team the flow master all that Absolutely. I mean, I loved it. It's like just a great group of people. It, it's just nice to be part of a group of people where everyone wants to get better all the time and they really care about their work. You know, that like that just that culture that's being, you know, that was created. You know, I, I think Dave and Nicole for a huge part, obviously Greg Glassman, but the Dave and Nicole really molded the culture to be what it was. And I think just having that pre, like the expectation or standard that, you know, at the end of each time, if I got to observe the other trainers, for example, that there was always feedback. They wanted the feedback. They expected the feedback because they want to get better. And I always had the expectation that, of course, there is going to be feedback at the end. So you go through every weekend trying to be better every single time. For me, that's like that's the environment that I want to be in. I, I, I suspect that 999 out of 1,000 people who heard what you just said really didn't, didn't get it. They were the 999 people that are not my people. That one person, 
that's the one. And the reason why I say that is because, um, and I wouldn't get it except that I got to see the, the the peak edit. I don't know if I could handle being on that team. And and you described it perfectly. the The feedback is real. It's hardcore. You guys give each other some fucking brutal feedback. It's every weekend. You never get to be perfect. You know what I mean? I mean, it's a, it's a, it, but the other piece that I don't think that they, that that's really hard to understand is there's a culture, like oh, a real 100%. culture. Like you don't use that word lightly. Like it's a crazy no. culture amongst you guys. Healthy. Yes. Yeah. It's powerful. It's if, if, if you can handle it, you know, it yeah. can also be very unhealthy, but obviously the internship process, the intent is to see how people handle feedback as well. You know, and I, I had a lot of interns um, and not a lot of people. I, I think I only ever passed two or three people for the team out of over 50 people that I must have seen. And it's just crazy. Looking- Did you guys hear that? Only two or three out of 50. Yeah. That's I mean, it's, yeah, it's some, so that's about the ratio, but I think hmm, it is. I'm actually trying to find you. This, this is a great quote uh, that I wanted to say perfectly from jordan peterson this was great it's like i don't tell people you're okay the way that you are that's not the right story the right story is you're way less than you could be you know oh oh and, yeah i just i actually have a clip of that for to show in a couple of days yes yeah you're way I less think, than you could be yeah and i think that's you know and you're looking for that person who understands that you know that's the right person for the team oh uh, uh jeffrey uh, Birchfield says so what is a flow master Right. So Flowmaster was kind of a head trainer for each level one or level two seminar, the one that took responsibility, that everything ran on time, that we've covered all the content that needed to cover, that the participant experience was what it needed to be, uh, that we delivered the really good uh, weekends and that all the information was there. And then, you know, there'd be administrative roles and doing after action reports for Dave and Nicole afterwards, making sure that the whole the seminar as a whole is moving in the right direction but also just really ensuring that the participants have the experience that they deserve uh, every single time. And, and anything could happen. The weirdest shit would happen. So just imagine yeah. someone comes in from the week before and they're upset because they think their test was graded wrong or someone falls off a bar or the, the building you're in starts to flood and you have to switch locations or one of the seminar staff gets sick or the Scantron machine that grades them stops working. I mean, it is, yes. and you, you, and, and Dave and Nicole don't expect you, to, you have to make it work. Yeah. You have to make it fucking work. It, yeah. it is a, when things run smoothly, it's the greatest position on earth. When things don't move smoothly, all fucking eyes are on you. Right. I mean, it's. Yeah. And you are expected to come up with the solution. Like there is the, tr- there is trust that you will come up with the solution. And there is also the trust that if you cannot, that you will definitely reach out to them. But like the expectation is that you, you're going to figure it out. Yeah. It's a pretty, um, if you worked at CrossFit and the, the, being on the L1 team, everyone, at least everyone that I knew, we all admired the L1 trainers. Um, but if you were Flowmaster, you, you were, you were really, really revered. And it was a really humble, cool group of dudes and girls. Yeah, yeah. Not a lot definitely. of girl, not a lot of girl flow masters, right? Lisa, I'm trying to think. Lisa Ray. Yeah, there. Denise uh, got in. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, right. there, there, there's definitely a few, and I think more now, more now, but definitely a privilege to be part of that group of people. Absolutely. Um. So, so now you're in Iceland, and Annie tells you she wants to go team, and um, do you have to? Before then, the only people you trained were Annie and BKG, right? And then everyone else filtered through the training plan. Yeah. So there were some athletes like typically the process went so that you got to a certain level, like 
Pierre couldn't follow that general programming until he made the games. Uh, just because there was enough for him to make it to the games. You know, he. I always think that the programming matters, but it, what matters much more is the consistency and the intent that you approach it with, right? So, yeah, so the pathway very much has been that you get to a certain level and, and, and it's been depending on the year and a little bit of the personal relationship with the athlete and how I felt like their work ethic and other things were. But there have been other athletes that I've worked with um, on an individual level or semi-individual level as well, like Hendrik uh, Harpalainen, for example, um, but there's always been like, a, you know, you get to a certain point and then we have the conversation about what's next. Like it's going to take a little bit more now to reach the next level. But yeah. And, yeah. and is Bjorkman like, oh, I don't know. Like you go to him too. being, I mean, uh, I don't know, man. Uh, um, I don't know if I want to share. These are all the really fucking high level people. And they're this, I'm going to lose you a little bit. Yami Lauren Fisher. She's been around forever. Mm-hmm. Oh, what Katrin? Holy cow. I like, I, I don't want to be in the same stable as all the Conport. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. Now what's going on? Like almost like you adopted three, four kids mm-hmm. and your original yes, two kids exactly. are like, what the fuck? Is yeah. there any of that? Or do you have that discussion or? I think I've always been very conscious that I need to make sure that everyone gets the attention that they need. Like, just like what you have three kids. Yeah. Yeah. They all need their own attention. Some need probably more attention than others and at different times. So I think it's kind of a little bit similar in managing those relationships and trying to be very good at seeing what people need and how to create connection with people, especially new people, like how to create connection with them and then how to make sure that the, you know, the older children uh, are also being taken care of so they don't feel like they're not getting what they need. I do do that. If I kiss one, I'm like, I go kiss the other two. Or if I, as I, you know, when I walk in the house after the podcast, I'll put my, I'll rub their backs and I'll do make sure I do. I'll consciously make sure I get each one. Yeah. Not that I, I don't notice if they care or not, but I don't want to plant that seed. And I think I imagine that this is true for you as well. At least it's true for me with the athletes is that these are things that you are conscious of, but you do them, these things unconsciously. I think it's very much like that because you you can't like you need to be a certain kind of person to have those relationships. And I think then things come automatically to you, but you're also conscious that they need to happen just in case you have that day where you don't. Um, it's, you know, Björkvin is so easy. And I think with female athletes, it's always a little bit more challenging. I think didn't Greg Glassman say that men will die for points and women will kill for points. Right. Oh. They are like, I think women. Wow. <laughs> I, I, right. I think it's Greg. Uh. I think it's Greg. Uh, so, you know, women are, I would say in many ways, women are just more competitive than men. Like that's kind of my conclusion. Uh, and, and that just means that you have to manage those relationships very carefully in, 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 in not in any kind of manipulative way, but just like make sure that you take everyone, um, you give everyone the attention that they need and you take everyone into account. I, I had, um, uh, J- Justin Medeiros came on the show and then after he, um, a, a few months later, I, I cracked a joke, um, that I, him and I didn't click and, but, but it was, but it was sincere. We didn't click, but I didn't mean it in a negative way at all. We really got along. I liked them. We just, like, like, like I loved my grandfather. I never clicked with my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And, and then, so I invited him on the show again and he responded, you know, Oh, I thought we didn't click. I'm like, yeah, that's why we have to hang out again. So we can like try to click. And, and for me, clicking is like loving someone like, like we, we, we hold hands and we tread water together and everyone's kind of responsible for not be, um, not being, not pulling the other guy underwater, right? Mm-hmm. Not being lazy, not taking ad- advantage 
Um, clicking is like when your boat, your feet are doing the egg beater, maybe at the, at the same uh, rate, you know, and, and, and you're trying to fit in with the other per person. Um, I have to, I have to imagine with Annie and, 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 and uh, Bjorkvin that you've, you've, you're experiencing love with them. You're experiencing um, beyond uh, like, like human communion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and if me, these other yeah, guys are there, mm -hmm. so, sorry to interrupt. No those things take like clicking with someone's different than getting along with them. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you're, you, you, you start to, um, I mean, can you, can you, is it, what, what if there's someone there you don't click with, you just keep faking it and just hope until you make it. Uh, I think I, my answer would be, I make sure that I do click okay. with them. Okay. You know, okay. I, I think I like the connection because especially Americans and you're like, you, you are a different culture than, than mm -hmm. um, Lauren Fisher. She comes from Stockton, California. I mean, it's a completely yeah. fucking different planet. Yeah. I, you know, I think in like short term with athletes, I mean, some, there are a lot of different philosophies. I say, yes, I, I love both Annie and Pierre and we've had this long relationship and we are friends as well as having this working relationship together. And I think that's been really important for the longevity, but the foundation of that is trust, and it always has to be the trust. I trust that they will do the work to get to where they want to. They say, tell me that they want to go, and they trust that I will do the work. And if I don't know that, I'll ask, and I find answers, and I tell them, and I'm honest. You know, and that foundation of trust, I think, you know, like short term with the team, for example, I feel like, you know, we have level of friendship already, which is great. But at the same time, they need to trust me. They don't need to like me. And that's okay. I do think that that's not the, I don't feel like they dislike me, but there's certainly times in training that what they will dislike me, just like Annie and Pjörkvin, et cetera, because the process is painful and difficult. You know, I ask them to do things that they might not want to do, or at least, you know, it's hard for them to want to do those things. So more than not want to do them, right? It, mm -hmm. it, it's it's a, even a different word. It's, um, it's something that they, they're questioning. They're questioning to the point where they're, they have to kind of step into the unknown. C could you give me an example of that? And that's where the trust is like something you would ask them to do that like needs to be done that they would, that they might not be able to get their head wrapped around. I, I think like two different scenarios. I th I'd say like, Oh, I can give you actually three. So one is you're doing some, you know, you're doing conditioning work, for example, you're doing hard intervals and they might not believe that they can do the next interval because the last one was so hard that they have to, they feel like they've given their all. But I can, you know, with the experience that I have now with them, I can see, like, I can tell them, hey, I believe that you can do this. Let's go. Like, like if they're on the machines, for example, they did for the, example, yeah. The, and, and then you're like, okay, you're going to rest one minute and go in 30 seconds. And they're basically like, are you fucking batshit crazy? Can't you tell yeah. I don't feel yeah, good? They might say, I don't think I can do it. And uh, then that's my time to tell them, you know, lend them my confidence in them and say, hey, you can, let's go. Let's do the do, work. Do you ever ignore them when they do that? Um. By ignore is not yeah, the right yeah, word. No, just yeah, don't I, say anything. Like just let the, okay, that's just the thought that they had. I'm going to let it pass for them. Yes, sometimes. And sometimes it can be just body language, you know, but I try to be very cognizant of what they need in that moment. Like I, I think this is like communicating with athletes, kind of what I was saying before. A lot of it comes unconsciously, but there's a very conscious process of what's the outcome that they need right now. Like what, what do they need right now to do the thing that we are doing here? In that moment and i think that's that's always the like the background baseline consideration for me when i'm speaking with them is to try to figure out what do they need right now it, especially in training like obviously we're more relaxed at sometimes but like in that moment it, I'm, I'm just looking for the outcome for them and that can be you know that could be me walking away that could be me smiling that can be just patting them on the back or 
just saying something. To the them. work needs to get done. It doesn't matter. Yeah, ultimately, how, yeah, how it happens. Exactly. Yeah, it's just like getting it, pulling it out of them. You know, what do they need right now to be able to do that? It, um, sure. That's how when, when I, I in a lot of my life, I, um, that thinking like that has is been so successful for me. Uh, I'm not. I don't care about being right or wrong. I just need to get what I want. Like I need. I, like yeah. I, I just have to. I have to cross this bridge. It, it does. Yes. Like it's like it's like when someone says. Um, uh, I, I don't know what the example is, but when someone accuses someone of cheating, like, like, uh, uh, uh so if you were escaping from a burning building and you kipped to jump out the window and someone said that's cheating, you're like, <laughs> okay, you know, like, I'm okay, I can live I'm with it. Fine. Yeah. yeah. That was the point wasn't to not cheat, the point was just to not, uh, burn. Yeah. Absolutely. In the, bu- in the building. Um, yeah. the, uh, um, I have a video here I want to show you and ask you. Um, Bjorkman looks scared here, and I'm wondering if you think he is. Um, <laughs> Let's see what's going on. <clears throat> I'm wondering if you, if if you, you probably didn't sense it at the time, but I'm guessing if you. Um, I'm wondering if you sense it now. Uh, he looks. He looks. He looks worried. <laughs> Look at his face. Does he have concern that maybe you're? Uh, he's going to lose his coach here. No, okay. he's concerned that I'm bench pressing more than he is. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. Okay, good. Okay. That's what good. it is. I see this look on his face like, oh shit, Yami shouldn't be doing this. He's gonna he's gonna uh... no. no, that's the look on my face like a couple days before the games when he does a backflip off a pier to the water or something like that. That's my face. Now he's just worried that I, I'm gonna bench press five kilos more than he is. Uh, what, what is this three fifteen, three hundred and fifteen pounds? It's like just under it's one forty, so it's like a little under. Okay. Uh, uh he's being a good dude and he has the training plan shirt on. I wanna show you guys something that i just noticed um this is you guys all know this already about crossfit but um there is a man in a wheelchair you can see working out on the right side of the screen then you see one of the greatest athletes that's ever fucking walked the planet come in the picture stage left uh uh, katrin uh david's daughter and then right there, she's putting her hands on um, maybe the greatest coach, uh, easily arguable the greatest coach in the, in, in CrossFit, uh, and and then high fiving uh, one of the most phenomenal human beings, also male, uh, Bjorkman Carl Gibson. And this is, I mean, I just don't think you see. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't think you see LeBron, who isn't nearly as fit as uh, Katrin or Bjorkman, um, working out in this environment. And, uh, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, so cool. one of the one of the things that really uh, made me want to be in Iceland is that gym and the environment in there. And you know that that's Annie's gym. What gym is that's, that? That's CrossFit Reykjavik. Okay. And there's just so many people who want to be better. Whether they are competitive, like they have a great teenager group of you know a lot of you know good athletes in the coming years for sure. And there is just this culture of people who go take a class, and then there are people. Uh, uh, the Icelandic names are so difficult. I can't say his name properly, but the, the person you saw on the, the right, like people are just there and they're going after it. You know, like it doesn't matter whether you're taking a class, whether you're training outside the class, whatever you're doing, like people are there just to get better. And it's just like, it's so like freaking great to be in that environment. Like it gets me fired up just thinking about it, you know, and it doesn't matter who you are. It just it's, doesn't. It's a trip. I, I I don't know if it's still like this. I, I bet it is though, but Iceland has more, CrossFit per capita than anywhere in the world. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. 
I mean, I mean I you, really got, you got a place with 300,000 people and you get 30 gyms. I mean, that's. Yeah. Is it only 30? I, I, I don't, I don't know. I haven't, yeah, I haven't looked, in, I haven't looked in years and years, but, but it's just, uh, it's definitely a lot. And it's, it's, yeah. it's really embedded in the culture now. I feel like, um, the, the, in, in the most superficial t- sense, how, how is the team doing? How, how, how Annie Tola, um, Khan and Lauren Fisher, how are they doing? Yeah, I, I guess we're going to find out on Sunday night, right? Over the next three days. That's the test. Uh, but yeah, I think we're doing, we're doing really well um, as a team. There's things that we need to work on for sure. I'm not going to pretend that um, everything is, you know, that we've mastered every aspect of team competition. That would be very unrealistic in this time. But there has been definitely that kind of relentless quest of just being better each time and fine-tuning details and understanding the team competition. And, you know, like Tola and Lauren, especially Khan also has some experience in the team. But, like, we have people who have done a lot of team competitions. And, and I've been trying to really um, rely on them or lean on them to give their expertise to me as well because they have maybe better understanding of the team than I do. Um, so I think with the short time that we've had, We've definitely been able to put together a team that's going to be a you know very legitimate contender by the time we get to the games. But of course, now this weekend is going to be our first in-person proper opportunity to compete. So I'm looking forward to seeing you know not what goes right, but what goes wrong. You know what do we need to work on? Because I'm sure that there will be things, and I I, I almost I don't hope that things go badly, but I hope that you know we get challenges uh, so that we know what we need to be ready for. Because it's this going to be a hard competition, of course, but the games is going to be a completely different level. Um, you will um will Katrin David's daughter and uh, uh, always Corey respect respect know your audience mm-hmm. respect. Will Katrin David's daughter and uh, Bjorkvin Carl Gudmundsson also be competing at this event? Uh, Pierre is competing this weekend and then Katrin is competing in the strength in depth. So that's the final, uh, will you go to that also with her? Oh yes. Yeah, absolutely. So it's real. You really are coaching her. Oh yeah. 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 Since, uh, more or less since, uh, rogue, like it was kind of like leading up to rogue, we were kind of testing the waters a little bit, uh, and then coming from rogue, like, yes, absolutely. It, it, it is, it is hard to see. Um, uh, b- because nostalgically you see these, it, w- it would be like seeing, um, Annie go to, to, to Ben Bergeron, right? Nostalgically, yeah. we've, we've followed the sport for so long and we always know, um, it's, it's Yami and Annie and nostalgically, mm-hmm. uh, everyone's, I think, um, has enjoyed, uh, the Katrin and Ben relationship. Like you would mm-hmm. see them together. You re- you, you could recognize the intensity and care in the relationship. Yeah, and, absolutely. and so to see her come over there, it's a, um, it's it's like a shock to us, right? It's like it's like you open up your peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and instead of peanut butter, it's it's mayonnaise, and you're just like, wait, what? Am, is it, are you sure? I mean, I'm Scandinavian, but mayonnaise is a little harsh, right? <laughs> Sorry, I know it's a bad example. Uh, uh, <clears throat> and your deal? How how is that? She is a um, she's uh, two times game champion, clearly one of the best who's ever been. She had one. Co- how long was she with Ben? I want to say, wasn't it 2014? She had the rope climb event that I remember, like, I have a picture actually of hugging, like Annie and her hugging each other at those regionals uh, when she didn't make it, you know, that it was clear after that event that she's not going to make it. And I think it was the year after, right? She came back 2015, 16, you know, they started uh, sometime 2014, probably then at, after the regionals, they start, must have started working together. So, and then until now, like this, this summer or like this last fall. 
So, so there's I'm, I'm, maybe there's more, but let's say let's say there's three different kinds of athletes. Um, it, where they come from, you get someone young that's mm-hmm. never had a coach, so so you get them. Then you get someone like Annie that you you have a long relationship, and then you get someone who's um, amazing like Katrin, but mm-hmm. she's had this other coach for so long, so she has her habits, she has mm-hmm. her ways. Do do you um, assimilate to her, or does she assimilate to you, or is it both? How how does it work? Yeah, I think it's both. I mean, she has a lot of good habits. And I mean, I think that it's it's kind of like... I mean, obviously, right? I mean, you're, yeah. you're fine-tuning like the, a, a perfect muffin. You're like, well, what are we going to do to this muffin? Yeah, yeah. Well, in, in a way, I think it's like <clears throat> she clearly has to have done many things right to be able to be as good as she is right now. And then I think there are some things... This kind of happens in CrossFit. And I, I think this must in some ways happened even like before Catherine worked with Ben. And I think that a lot of the great CrossFit athletes are great athletes because they are very like, because they're great athletes, not because they received um, good technical coaching early in their career. So a lot of the athletes that I see that are very high level, they still have a lot of fundamental, like technical challenges in their movements. Like Catherine's muscle ups, for example, rope climbs, historically the upper body pulling and things like that. And, And I think that they are very hard to, address you know and i think that when katrin went to ben she already had this a certain amount of habits that they were able to work on and improve and so in many ways you know what we've been doing this season is is kind of go back again to a lot of the fundamentals and and work on those and i also recognize that even though you know she's in a very good place right now this this work it cannot be complete in a single season you know it can be she can be ready and she can be a contender but there's no way to do all the work that we need to do in, in just like nine months. It's just not enough time, you know? So that's one aspect to it. I think the other one is, is really that like with the work that they had done together, I mean, obviously Catherine's come, comes in, like she knows so much, she can do so much. They've done so much valuable work. It's like, I can, I have the privilege of inheriting that work in some ways and not having to lay those foundations in place. That's really interesting because then you can focus on, you know, I can focus on the things that I see, through my eyes that might be different than another coach would see just because of their past experiences, education, and everything else. It's like, we're all looking at the same person from different angles. How could they be better? And that's really interesting. She, she, of, of all the athletes, um, and maybe it's just cause uh, she, you know, she has so much content out there. I always hear her say this same thing over and over. She, um, she believes she, she's excited to get better. She makes that very clear when she speaks. The coolest thing about this is I know that I can get better. It se- yes. it's, it's se- it seems to be a mantra with her. And I guess that would be a must before you to coach her. Cause if she didn't think that, what would be the point of coaching her? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially, you know, going back to like very basic things at the athlete at that level is, would be, you know, very difficult. I think there's a balance though to play. I think it's very important to know that you can be better. It's also really good to know that you're great and remember that, you know, because it, it could it could also go the other way, you know, that we break everything down so much that then she would feel like she's not a good athlete. You know, that's, right. that's that was kind of like an important balance to play. It's like, hey, remember that you're great as you are. You've already been world champion multiple times. You are very good at what you do. Now let's get better, you know, rather than, you know, the other alternative, which is yep. like, well, you are not that good. It's like, no, no, you are amazing. And that's the opportunity. I, I just saw recently um, my, my one of my sons has been playing tennis for three years or almost three years. And the first two years he was, um, 
he, we played so much and he grew and he practiced so much that he grew really fast in it. But so he was always with older kids. And when you're a five-year-old and you're with seven-year-olds, no matter how good you are, you can't beat them because they can do some movements and cross the court that with no technique, they can still beat you. Right. Just yeah. like the greatest, um, the greatest martial artist at seven years old cannot beat me up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I just throw a cinder block at him. Right. At four years old, maybe yeah. at seven. No. Okay. 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 At four. Thank yeah, you. Um, <laughs> So now he's in a class where he's the best and he's seven now. And I'm like, oh, I, I wonder why the teacher's not moving him up. So I asked the teacher, why aren't you moving up? He goes, dude, he just spent two years of just losing nonstop. I need mm -hmm. to keep him here, even though he's better than most of the kids in the class, if not all, because he needs to start learning what it's like to win. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. I, I, yeah. I guess that's the psychological piece, right? You don't want to just always be losing. You need, you need to experience some winning. Yeah. Yeah, it's tricky, right? I, I think probably, and again, I'm just, this is arm, armchair psychotherapy, but like as long as the kids feel like they're loved regardless of the outcome, yeah, if they trust that process, you know, like the process becomes the priority. I think it's probably okay up to a certain point not to win and just to learn, but there is going to be a time when if you don't know learn how to win, and I see this with adult like athletes as well, it's like if you don't know how to win, when you're about to win, you don't dare to take that step. Right. And, and what is, how would you describe that step? What is that step? So let's say the classic thing would be that you're at the regional semifinals level competition. You're coming to that final event. You're, you're clutched on that, you know, your first CrossFit Games spot and you choke because the, the pressure that the idea, I think that that identity, if you don't have, you have not developed the identity that you can be a champion, that you can win in that moment the other identity that you have is not going to allow you to physically perform to your capacity. Wow. You will actually self-sabotage yourself out of that opportunity. And of course there are levels to this. Maybe you don't self-sabotage quite enough and you still make it and you can grow now, but I've also seen it happen the other way. Um, you say, you said something very interesting. Um, so there are these athletes. Um, oh, I need to make sure I ask this question about Laura. Um, there are these athletes that um, get a narrative spun up about them. Um, Laura Horvath can't do handstand push-ups. Annie Thor's daughter can't do muscle-ups. Um, you know, uh, um, so and so can't run, etc. And you, in one of the interviews, you say, "Hey, um, you, you shouldn't let that narrative get out of control in your own head. You shouldn't spin a narrative around your sticky spots." Can you explain to me why? Is it, is it because then you have to uh, overcome two things, the narrative and the movement? And is this kind of what you're talking about, about being a champion? Yeah, I think so. I mean, <clears throat> one of the things I, I always have this engraved, if I, if I get a new iPad, I have engraved at the back of the iPad, don't believe everything you think. And that's much more about your emotional, like what you feel as emotions, than it's about what you think intellectually, right? It's much more about managing the, your chimp, if you're familiar with this chimp paradox of having the human, the chimp, and the computer kind of brain model but like those narratives can easily spun, spin out of control and it's very easy to feed the feed that narrative and make it like a self-fulfilling prophecy so i oftentimes say to athletes in different contexts I, i'll just tell them it's like don't say stupid shit out loud you know because if you mm. say something out loud you're more likely than not to buy into it because like who's the most trustworthy person in your life who do you know the best it's going to be you so the more you repeat things, whether in, in your head or more like maybe worse or better, depending on what you say externally, if you say things out loud, you will start to believe in them. It's just like physiology. This is how humans work, right? So I am not a big fan of the athletes 
talking about those narratives out loud, unless it's in a context where we then can process it immediately and move on from it. But like leaving it hanging is, is, is not good uh, at all. God, that is so good. Um, uh, you also said this, which is, I just absolutely love, and th everyone could use to hear this. And this is the problem why people don't understand what science is, by the way. You say something about models. Let me see if I can, if I wrote it down here. All models are wrong, but some are useful. Mm. And people really don't understand that. And I would, I would, I would, uh, and I'm, I'm, I guess I'll ask you the usefulness is its predictive value. And hence, that is the definition of science. Not that science is real or true, because we know it's not, but it's just the leading edge of it is what has the best predictive value. That's why as, as, uh, uh, astronomy works better than astrology. Mm. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. of its predictive value. Not that either one of them is true. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't perceive the world as it is. You perceive it in a way that's useful to you to survive in it. And then mm. we can create these internal models that make us see the world in a certain light or in a certain way. And we might miss things that we, you know, it's this kind of like whole luck concept of like preparation meets opportunities. Like you're prepared to see the thing, you're prepared to see the opportunities based on your background. So I, I very much think this is both human experience and the scientific process is it's really like Gaussian prediction of the future. You know, we're, we're just trying to predict what's going to happen next so that we can survive. And the science, yeah, all this idea of models is, is, is very much the same. I mean, I, I think this is like a very philosophical idea in the sense that all models are wrong, but some of them are useful. And, and that usefulness really is the predictive value. It's, it's, it's this... You could also think about it on a very simple level and say, like, is this model useful for me in my daily life without taking it any further, you know? Right, right. And that would be sufficient. But then saying that, yeah, if it has predictive value in real life, then yes, it is more useful. Like, if you want to be rich, if you have a model of making money that works, brings you money, then, you know, that's that's a useful model. But it doesn't make the model right. Right. Um, it, it, reading astrology is fun. It's fun to look up your sign and then see, okay, I'm a Pisces. Oh, it says today I'm going to be, um, if I, I should have positive thoughts and make my, it's fun. That, that no. doesn't make, it doesn't make it real. Uh, no, but I was going to say, but you can buy into that narrative and try to make it real. And, and right, self, right. self deception is, is, is probably one of the, you know, the big problems that we can run into. And and, uh, and and consensus uh, affects that also. You you know something is not the right thing to do. Um, uh, you know going outside and being in the sun is is better for you. But someone told you to stay at home and lay in bed. Yeah, and maybe because because that's, that's the consensus, right? And it's like, yeah. wait a second, it would actually be better if I walked outside in my backyard and sat <laughs> sat out there for ten minutes. Yeah. Or I don't feel good, and they say to rest. I actually should go sit on the assault bike for ten minutes and pedal slowly. Yeah, and I think this is the dialogue, like the the internal dialogue, dialogue or monologue that we have. Uh, oftentimes, I think that the worst thing is that when when you know when when your own worst, like when you are your own worst enemy, you know, when you say those things and and you do those things, you you kind of if you have that feeling, I think that a lot of these athletes are good also because they have this feeling that they should go and do the thing. You know, they should go and train. They might not feel great, but they feel like they should go train. Someone else is not going to have that same sensation. It's very difficult for them to become, in this context, for example, a great athlete. It's those people who have that feeling that, mm, 
I should go and do this and then can take action on it. That will be more successful. I, and this is obviously true in other areas of life as well. It, 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 it's fascinating to me that, um, but I get it. The more out of shape people come, the less they want to move, right? They don't, no one wants to drive their car if it's a piece of shit. Yeah. It's also that it takes energy to change, right? Like your nervous system uses a lot of glucose, a lot of fuel to make a change. It's more difficult. It's much more easy to feel pain in your shoulder if you had shoulder pain before. It's harder to feel it in your hip. You know what? I, like these pathways are carved into us. Like using the same old pathways, it's very energy efficient. So we default to doing what we've always done. Wow. Wow. It, um, there's almost like two different – because there are so um, – the the people are surviving in such an unhealthy state on the planet now. There's almost – and then on the other hand, you 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 have people like um, Bjorgman on the planet also with us. It, it's almost like it's becoming two different um, species. It really is. It's bizarre. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like it's not the same – the same protocols don't work for them. It's like is the difference between like a diesel truck and a gas truck. I mean, it's it's just it's not that they can't be the same. It's not like we couldn't just like hold Bjorgman down and pump them full of glucose for a year and, and you know, um, turn them into one of those. Or we couldn't take someone. Well, I don't know. Do you, I, I think people can get so unhealthy that they can't come back? Yeah, maybe, maybe. But like, hmm, I, I I think of like the people in my environment and I think one of the responsibilities of friends and coaches, et cetera, is to make sure that they never get to that point, right? right. To that point of no return. And I think this is where being a part of a community. Or parents or being a parent. Yeah. Yeah. But be, having a community of some sort, whether it's a family unit or whether it's a, let's say a CrossFit community or any other community, I think that the, one of the roles of the community is to provide feedback to the individual about their actions. So then, this is where it becomes really important to make sure that you are in the right community for you. You are in the right environment so that the people around you are making you make the right decisions because otherwise you feel so ashamed or you feel excluded. Like, right. Right. Yeah. Right. That's not good. Don't do that. <laughs> no. um, any value in riding the assault bike backwards? I mean, why not? Let's say that in the last nine months, we haven't done it. And then we did it maybe once. No, I mean, you could ride assault bike backwards. Why would you? What would be someone's reasoning, though? I mean, walking backwards is a lot more, like, there's a lot more going on if you walk or run backwards, whether you want to pull a sled, like, very trendy knees over toes guy, or whether you're just walking outside backwards and have this different visual flow and vestibular, like, balance stimulus that you want to get going forward. There's a lot into that, but I don't know about that assault bike. I, I just I, yesterday I was uh, every once in a while I'll ride it backwards, not very fast, and I mm -hmm. and I let go of the handles too because I I, I want to try to sit really erect when I do it. Mm -hmm. Um, but but it's it's it, it feels it's weird. It's like I don't realize the pressure it puts on my knee to ride the assault bike until I ride it backwards, mm -hmm. and then I and then there's like a I don't know. I just thought of it yesterday. I was like, okay, I'll ask Yami. Could be could be a warm up thing. I could ride it very up. slow backwards. You know, like under 50 rpms like for it was like at 49 rpms okay i'll promise i'll explore this tomorrow okay I'll text and, you. And, and and what about um and, and i've been um uh, walking backwards on the assault runner yeah because of the, the the trendiness of it yeah so here's the thing that one of the problems with assault runners or any kind of stationary cardio equipment is that what you don't get is the visual flow right moving through space and turns out that this is something that we've evolved to have so it's a quite a strange stimulus for your brain your legs are doing the work your arms are doing the work let's say you're running on a treadmill but the visual, like the visual field does not change. This is like, there's a the kind of like a dissonance 
you know, yeah. between never thought what of you're that. supposed to experience and what's happening. So it's not that it's terrible for you, but if I have the preference, if I can get the athletes to run, bike, you know, move in space, I much prefer that than the stationary machines, but it's very nice to have the truth monitor in front of you telling about your effort, you know, and then controlling that effort maybe. Um, how's the guitar coming? Uh, well, I, I've, bought, I've bought more guitars, which is nice. Uh, whether the skill <laughs> level, I would say that I'm definitely one of those guitar players that the number of guitars is not proportional to the uh, capacity. Do you play every day? Uh, yeah, typically I, I'll, I'll aim to play at least 30 minutes every day. Wow. So let's say you come home. And it's, a, it's a late night. Um, you come home. You, you, you train with the guys. And then you have a meeting. And then you guys go out to dinner. And you come home and you're tired. Will you make sure at least you pick it up for five minutes? You know that the trick is that I picked it up in the morning before I did anything else. Okay. That's the trick. Yeah. Like I make a cup of coffee for myself in the morning. And then I play guitar. All right. Uh, how and, and the Icelandic. You said you're going to learn um, Icelandic. Is, is that – what I hear there, I read into that and I think, okay, that ties into his commitment of maybe staying there multiple years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's like at some point <clears throat> I've traveled so much in my life. I've lived in so many different countries, like besides like UK and France and Finland that I think it's, um, I, I know for myself that I need some kind of commitment devices to be able to actually commit to staying somewhere. So like, Officially moving to Iceland is one of them. I think committing to learning the language is another one of them. You know, I'm just like basically, again, knowing how I am, trying to manage who I am, and then just trying to put these things in place so that I know what I'm going to do in the future. So I'm not tempted to go and travel, move somewhere else, you know. So it's definitely a conscious strategy. Plus, I think it'll be kind of cool to know that language. It's, it's kind of useless in some ways that there's so few people who speak Icelandic. But if you are in Iceland, then it becomes all of a sudden very useful. Uh, do you do you own a home anywhere on the planet? No, I had no. To, I've never even owned a car in my life. Wow. Okay. Mm. Do you drive? Yeah, yeah, I drive. Yeah. I drive. And in Iceland, uh, you need to be you need to drive. Yeah. Th this is your very first picture on Instagram. <laughs> this is from uh, five hundred and fourteen weeks ago, July eighth, two thousand twelve. I've probably posted 20 times since then. Um, <laughs> I know you are not a big poster. I'll, you sure. wait, you'll just wait and see. One day I will, uh, I will start. No, normally when I'm scrolling through people's Instagram I say, and I'm doing research on it, I'm like scrolling down to the bottom with yours. I was like, zing, oh, we're there. We're at the bottom. Uh, and, there's, and, there, and there's Annie. Wh where is this? Uh, this is in LA. This is after the – I think it – no. This is how it begins. So this is the beginning of the game. So there's Carl Pauly in mm -hmm. the front with overexposed – face and then the background on the right there's another icelandic guy i cannot remember his name unfortunately i do know him and then there is annie and then there's frederick uh there as well so this is before the games in 2012 yeah yeah crazy so um it it, it started with her and it's it, it and it's 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 like it's it's still going with her yeah it's kind of crazy to think how long it's been, but you know, we've very consciously from beginning wanted to commit to something long-term, like as an athlete, it's very easy to go very hard. Like not anyone, but a lot of people can go very hard three, four, five years, maybe, but it's much harder to have longevity. So, you know, just from a training perspective and just on, from the mindset perspective of living that athlete life for so long, I think it's just so important to 
think about like what is it that you could do uh, what is it that you you know you could do and then what is it that you would do and like have those that's like Jordan Peterson thing right but like have those two things make sure that they they actually are, we do things that are sustainable very long periods of time and not do things that might be great for one season but that's the end of the game you know and it, and it's and it's uh, it hasn't been it's it's not easy <laughs> no and i don't feel like it's got any easier sometimes i think it's like i should be really so much better at this right now than i am because it's it it's doesn't feel easy on a daily basis uh like i don't think i experience easiness in in my work very often there, there's flow at times which makes things feel easier but like a lot of times the process is you know what was the and Hemingway who said that writing is easy you just stare at the typewriter until you start to bleed from your eyes wow. and that's kind of like how it is in in some ways maybe that's a little extreme it's not that hard but it's yeah. it's it's definitely not any easier there is a an evolution and a development and and it probably isn't stopping now that she's doing team that happens around these superstars like Annie. Right. So you have rich Froning. If you met him in 2010, I would go over to his house and I had him or two. Yeah. And I had him all to myself. My wife and I went over there. We hang out with him for a week. There's no one around us. It's just me, her rich, his dad comes around. We take pictures. We watch him train. We film. It's just, we got them all. We, mm-hmm. we he's ours. Now, if you go see Rich, it's it's. I'm guessing it's not like that at all, right? It's yeah, a, imagine. it's a whole fucking. It's the mayhem empire. So you meet Annie, and she's this young girl, and you have her all to yourself. You have your own, your your own clay. And now all of a sudden, um, you have her parents who have ideas for you, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, then she gets a boyfriend, Frederick Gideus, who has mm-hmm. ideas for her. And then now you have this team, and then you have a gym, and then you have the president of fucking Iceland wants to meet her. And then it's just like, holy yeah. shit, there becomes this whole um, uh, uh, social phenomenon that happens around these people, and you're still the guy who just just trying to tune the radio. Mm-hmm. Is it is that the hardest part to manage? Just all the voices now that are in the room and – yeah, yeah, not so much now. I think at some point in the process, I think our relationship is at the point where we we talk really openly about anything. And I think is that was that scary at first? Yeah, maybe. You know, when I was in my like late twenties, like early on, like as I've grown, I feel like I've you know through through this work partially, I've grown as a human quite a lot, and it, those conversations have become easier. It's, it's also like understanding that those conversations are essential. Like for something to work long term, you can't like have a relationship with a person as a you know working relationship and friendship if you're not willing to talk about things that are hard to talk about. Like it's just not real that relationship. Then, um, but I think it's there is this side of helping the person to manage what they have going on, and then being able to manage the other people, keeping the outcome in mind of what you know what we're trying to accomplish, and that's definitely a challenging part of it. But it's also a part that I think coaching uh, athletes at this level as a coach you have to accept that that's part of the job description you know that that is part of the work if you can't manage the people around then it's it's not going to work because there is too much noise as you were saying this i was thinking about just just in terms of relationships in the most superficial way it's like um the 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 first time you fart around your girlfriend right it's like well at some point she's gonna have to know that i fart but but it's like that you you said it. You're right. When you're young, there's a um, an intellectual dishonesty, but but it's for sincere reasons. You want someone to like you, and then you realize, oh, but this person would actually, if we're honest with each other, there'll be a respect that's deeper than liking. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, but I guess it's kind of like in a relationship that you can either pretend to be someone at the beginning that you're not and figure it out five years down the line or later, or you can be who you are and see if it works from the beginning. And, you know, I don't say that, like, I think the first few years with Annie, for example, we were kind of like figuring out how we work best together. And, and, but in that time, we developed the trust both ways that we can talk about things. Uh, and it has to go both ways. She needs to feel also, I think importantly that, you know, I trust her so that I can go to her and speak with her about things as well as much as she trusts me. I think it like that trust is a two-way stream. It's very hard to have trust just in one direction. Um, there's this um, conventional uh, social norm that people will judge coaches who take credit. And I'm like, why? Like yeah. Ben Bergeron should be able to fucking be like, fuck, I had Katrin and Matt Fraser in the same year. Fuck you. I'm the best. I don't got a problem with that. People are like, it takes a, like the coach should be humble and be like, the athlete did it all. I'm like, what? Why? Yeah, I think, like, what's the, am I missing something? What's the logic? Is there a logic to being a humble coach? Like, what, like, why, why are, why is everyone so hard on the coaches? Why can't, like, they just want the coach to teach and shut the fuck up and get out of the way. It's like, wait, what, why? Don't you yeah. want the whole team to just be have swagger? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different levels of this to, to answer it both specifically and generally. I, I think that- and by the way, I'm not, I'm not accusing Ben yeah. of doing that either. I've always thought yeah. of him as a humble man, but some people are like, Oh, he takes too much credit. I'm like too much credit. I'd have a shirt saying I'm the best. <laughs> yeah. I, I would have probably wear a shirt, but that would say, I don't know. Um, but I think it's like, for me, at least personally, like I'm very much more in the camp of, you know, some people have this confidence where they just believe in what they say. And I don't necessarily believe in what I say a lot of the time, but I know that I will say it with enough conviction that someone else will when it matters, you know, but I'm, I'm the kind of person who's always, it's, it's kind of knowing, you know, again, all models are wrong. Some are useful. So I know I'm wrong. It's just like, how wrong am I? And at least for me, I've definitely had early on, maybe early on, let's say that last year, after last year, I have no doubts of my contribution to Annie's career, for example. But let's say that in the past, it's like, did she win? because of me or did she win despite of me you know would it would she have been greater with someone else than she would have been with me i think it's important that if you care about your work that you ask those questions you know it's also important to find answers that support you and like your own confidence and your own ego and your own identity where you can have confidence that yes uh, this actually like i made a significant contribution to their success but i think it's also healthy to have a little bit of that humility and not just jump on the boat and say like, Hey, of course it's because of me, because the truth is you don't know. Right. 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 Um, what about, what about last year was last year? Like, because your, your athlete has been through so much, um, so many, I don't want to use the word obstacles or challenges, but Mm. just so much. Right. I, I don't know how to, but she had a kid. She has, she has a husband. She has a house. She has a gym. She has an injury. She has a time off. She has, is that what, what about last year for you? Um, what, what happened in you last year? And was it because of the outcome or? I, I think it's partially the outcome. Like you need to have some level of success to build confidence, but I think it's also <clears throat> the amount of work that we had to do. I'd say to, to have the specific, you know, like taken, like I have this specific set of skills, like to have the specific skill set that was required for her to be successful from a coaching perspective was quite like, you know, 
osteopathy, Chinese medicine. I studied functional neurology. There's a lot of these different things that you had to have, plus the experience of coaching athletes at that level that I think were all essential parts of her being able to be successful. So you could have had a team of people who could have maybe done that. But I think to have one single individual that has all that knowledge available in a practical usage at their hands, it would have been extremely difficult if it wasn't me. And that was kind of like my feeling. And I don't oftentimes say these things. It's not very easy for me to praise myself, especially in public, because that's just not how I operate traditionally. I'm more like the finish, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily... I would say you barely praised yourself. Don't worry. No one even noticed it. No <laughs> exactly. And noticed in it. my have head, to rewind I, the tape. <laughs> in, in my head, that was like, wow, he's so funny. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? But this is the thing, right? No, it, it was that. And then uh, we just had some like, I, I don't even know if Annie thinks about this this way, but we had, for example, I might have said this somewhere else, but we had the, the clean run events and she runs back to the stadium, to the heavy bar, and she hadn't cleaned that weight before, but I had told her, look, I know exactly what you will be able to lift and this, you can lift it. But she comes to the stadium and she does this and gets the audience to cheer her on and she makes the lift. But I didn't need to see the lift. When she did this, I knew she was going to make the lift. And that was something that we kind of set up two months prior on a run together, talking about narrow and broad focus and using either one as strategies to fuel your performance at the right time. So I don't think she did it like consciously. It was an unconscious thing. But for me, it felt like that was the seed that we planted two months ago, you know? And so that was, for me, it was a very special coaching experience just to see that seed grow, you know, and bloom just at that right time when it was needed for her to, you know, to do as well as she did in that event. It's like- You saw, you saw the work you guys did. Yeah. Like yeah, tangible. You're like, holy shit. Like maybe other people can't see it, but like the, I see, I, I see it. Exactly. So they were like, that was one, like a very, for me, obvious example of that. And there were others at the games so of just like planting all these little seeds, trying to keep them alive. And then them just like, um, when you see, when you see an athlete, um, do that, um, s- summon the crowd, some might think that they're summoning the crowd to, um, get energy from them or to get mm-hmm. them to cheer, but maybe, maybe maybe what really what we're seeing is they're they're they know they're gonna do it it could be do do you know what i mean like like it's a premonition or or they're putting their purpose it's not for an athlete as as great as annie it's still not enough pressure and she wants more pressure put more pressure on me yeah but see it's so i can rise to the occasion i mean what is that it's not in that context specifically my interpretation Mm -hmm. at least is that it's not at that moment? It's not more pressure. It's more energy. It is like in that very specific example. I think like it is. magical energy, like like literally energy. No, it's just feeling. You know, like if you go and lift at the gym by yourself, and you're gonna max out your deadlift, let's say, or you're around with two hundred nine, two hundred nine pounds, two hundred nine pounds. That's impressive. Thank you. Um, and then, or you go and you have three people who are just like they're just about at the same level as you, and they're all pushing freaking hard. And they all want to PR that day. And you're just going in a rotation around the barbell. It's like, that's the energy, you know? And I think that's just the social connection that you have in that moment. And you create this expectation. And you, of course, will have all these physiological changes as a consequence of that. I would say it's more more that if someone wants to conceptualize it as energy in whatever way they want to. I just use it maybe more metaphorically to describe the, the internal chemistry of the athlete in that moment. It's like they're... they're, they're 
you know, they're self-regulating their arousal levels by external means and the audience is their means. Um, do you think that the, the, the baby and the hormones that come with having a baby, um, uh, affected Annie made her a better athlete? Do you think there's any value into, um, should all the games athletes get knocked up? <laughs> well, you know what the, the, the Soviet union, what they used to do is they would get the female athletes pregnant and then abort. And then they would get these hormones, but not the baby. That was their strategy. No so, shit. Yeah. Um, I, I interviewed, um, Darian weeks, uh, a few weeks ago he's a ufc fighter mm. um and he said that three weeks before the fight he does something called edging do you know what edging is mm -hmm. yeah he does edging for three weeks he doesn't let one fly <laughs> he, he, so he just he has sex with his wife but just doesn't let one fly do you Pretty, think there's any yeah. i mean you're the you're the uh neuro feng shui uh chinese medicine uh biologist what is there any truth to that yeah, I mean, I, I can see that what could happen is that your testosterone levels are extremely high because you're just looking to mate, essentially, right? So you're using that testosterone to create aggression towards the other individual. In that context, you know, now you're fighting for the same female, potentially, even though you're not, but you can create that story in your head and use that powerfully. Maybe, I don't know that physiologically that there is, but I bet there's some research. I'm sure someone's written a paper about this. Yeah, yeah. someone needs to check it out. I don't know, I mean... What do you, what would you do? You'd get a hundred men and just have them do that edging to test their testosterone and then have them do that edging technique every day or, and then, yeah, then they need to have, uh, and then uh retest a, it. a willing, a willing female or male, whatever they prefer companion to, to perform the act, you know, so maybe you don't even need some, maybe you don't even need someone else. Oh, but maybe then it's different. <laughs> you know, you know that uh, from your brain perspective, you touching you versus someone else touching you is very complete. It's like very different circuitry. So, I is think it? Unfortunately, yeah, that is true. Yes, yeah, it's not the same circuitry. So it's very different. I mean, obviously, there's pathways. Part of the pathways are the same, but like, wow, the higher sensors in the brain. Yes, it's it's going to be different. So you've seen studies on that. Yeah, there there is very clear research on this on a specific brain area that's called the insular cortex. That is like an in, important integration center in the brain, but it's also kind of like where emotional pain and other things are kind of like, not that things are located in the brain, that's clearly, but it's an important part of that network for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so people who are just sitting around watching porn all day beating off are missing out. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's kind of like a given, isn't it? Though it is a given. Physiology for that. It is. It is a given. It's just crazy how many probably people fucking do that as opposed to like, hey, show some discipline, go out and exercise, and and, may, and run around the track, and maybe you'll meet a girl or a boy or someone over there. Yes, it's it's kind of good to connect with real people. Wow, spoken, uh, Yami Tinkinen. Uh, it's good to interact with real people. This is that's the uh, highlight of the podcast. One forty six. <laughs> um, uh, um, how are you on time? Do we have a few more minutes? Yeah, absolutely, no problem. Um, what do your what do your parents do? How how did you get? How how are why are you the way you are? What you, are they still alive? Your parents? My, yeah, they're alive. They're retired. Um. My dad was an IT guy, first for a bank and then for a university. And my mom's done secretarial jobs in, you know, both private companies, fire departments, et cetera. And, and they're, in, and they're in, uh, in Finland? They're in Finland, yeah. Uh, up north by um, uh, Miko or down south by in Helsinki? Yeah, so Miko is like, if Finland is like here, Miko is kind of like here. He's not oh. really that up north. My sister okay. lives all the way up north and my parents live more in the east, closer to Russian order of all oh. hmm. you guys don't like the russians too much right the two cultures aren't too friendly 
It's not so much that we don't like the Russians. I think the Russian people are great, but I think that the, it, it, it's more the potential threat that's always been there, you know, for Finland of right. Russian invasion. With you know, we used to be part of Russia, and we had the Winter War. We've had a lot of history, you know. What so year was be, that? I had no idea. Finland used to be a part of Russia. What year was that? Oh, that was before the First World War. Okay. Yeah. So we got our independence only after that, you know, and we were part of Sweden also in the past. So we've been part of a couple of different empires. Um, in the past, but yeah, there is definitely this sense of threats uh, from. I, when I went there and filmed with Miko, I remember asking, "St. Petersburg is just right over the border, right?" Yeah, it's not too far. Okay, is it still called St. Petersburg? Yeah, I think so, at least in English. Uh, uh, and I remember asking some of the Finnish people, "Have you gone to St. Petersburg?" They're like, "Fuck no." Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Okay, yeah, don't yeah. ask that question again." <laughs> Um, your time out of Finland, are you, when you go back there, do you culturally assimilate well, or, or have you become too lively, too gregarious? Yeah. So I normally, when I go to Finland, I go for a couple of things. I go see my family. I go see my friends. My friends, I think generally tend to be people then that are also a little bit more outgoing and more open than typical Finnish men, uh, would be, or I go hiking, which is then I'm going to be in the wilderness and not see people. So, um, Hard to say. I guess the joke was that I was the Finn that got thrown out for being too extroverted. And if, I mean, yeah. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and like, I mean, yes, I, I am more extrovert than introvert. I think more extrovert than introvert. That didn't make any sense. More extrovert than introvert, but also like, I'm still Finnish. I'm, I'm, I, I'm aware yes. that I'm not American. You know, my level of enthusiasm and excitement does not show the same way as uh, it does. If you're an American and you haven't been to Finland and like hung out there with the people, you you kind of can't even imagine. Um, you yeah. kind of can't even imagine it. This is as, as good as it gets with Finnish people. So uh. yes, yes, Yami is raging right now. He probably yeah. did a line of coke or something before this. I mean, he is going uh, completely um, off. <laughs> The the um, the the team uh, I had Khan on and Khan had um, uh, I think he had alluded to the fact that he wasn't the first choice that there were actually that he was the third choice that there were two other dudes that were proposed to be on the team before him. Um, mm. Is that is that hard for him? I mean, he seemed to handle it well, but is it, and, and you have these people who are at different levels, right? You have this someone who's like done everything you could do in the sport annie mm -hmm. and then you have people like tola and khan who have not and then you have sort of a lauren who's in the middle now mm -hmm. th that's not a, a, a i don't mean that as a hit at any of them we all know sure, that sure. like to make it to the games is fucking just nuts yeah um how 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 is that how is that training a group of people who are so varied in their um in their achievements and and, and, and is it indicative in their abilities too do you have to like Oh God, sorry, Con. Do you have to like slow everything down for Con because Annie will just run off to the side of the earth for him? No, you have no? to slow. No, no, no. If anything, you have to slow Con for everyone else. I mean, okay. I don't know if you ever trained with this guy. No, like, no, no, no. I don't know anything about him except that he's yeah. fun to look at. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, talk yeah. to. Yes, both. He's a beautiful human being for sure, and he's also just a complete beast. When, he, especially when it comes to conditioning, like there's very few people who can hang with him. Like he's pure physical like potential and ability is, is extremely high, you know, like he's easily top 10 games athlete if he gets everything right, you know, but I don't think he's had coaching in the past. And I think also like the lifestyle has not always supported the athletic performance. So, you know, that's been kind of like with him, it's been important to try to dial things in, you know, nutrition, sleep, things like that. And, but do it in a way that will work for him. You know, 
this thing like uh, it's it's not that just people will be able to do certain things it has to be something that he can do long term and that's been like what we've been working with just really taking him into account as a person how he is and everything else but no i don't you know con honestly like let's say him specifically he even if he wasn't the first person we asked like he is absolutely the right person for the team like i could not be happier you know, both for an opportunity to help him with the things that he needs help with. That's exciting for me as a coach, as a person. But also with everything that he brings to the team. I mean, you had a long conversation with him. You know the depth of him as a human being. Incredible. And incredible. He, yeah. And one of the first conversations I had with him and Annie when we're talking about the expectations and the pressures of being in this team. It's like, look, there could be someone else in the team that would make the team better as an athlete, but you will make the team better as a human. And I think that is like, why he needs to be there and then on the other side well he's a freaking crazy athlete you know like he can perform when he needs to perform and he will sell his soul in a competition if he has to so for me you know like i would have been really in in hindsight if i could have like had a couple different outcomes of who's in the team uh, it would have been very sad if he wasn't you know so when you go to the games you'll have bjorgvin and you'll have um Will you also be um, Fre Frederick's coach at the games? Well, um, I think Frederick is most likely, and he can speak for himself. He's probably going to be uh, helping me with the team at the games, regardless and, of the outcome of the competition. But what if he makes it as say, a Masters? What if he makes it as a Yeah, then then that's the decision we have to make at that point. But like, as it stands right now, I think he's going to be, you know, helping with the team. He's got such good okay. experience uh, in that context, you know, from doing the grid, from, you know, being there with the guys all the time, like he's there every day with us, like training and then also helping the team, you know, and all the individual athletes, he helps Bjorkvin and Katrin a lot as well. So uh, that's at least, you know, where we're, we are right now. But there is going to be, obviously, everyone needs to make it true, but let's say that things go as, as they would. So Bjorkvin and Katrin as individuals, hopefully Hendrik is going to also make it this year. Again, he's in a good shape. And then we have the team. So it's going to be, you know, for a small team of us, it's going to be a lot of moving parts to manage for sure. Dude, that's an understatement. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think. I guess the athletes do spend a lot of time just alone or with it with each other too. So you have time, and I guess, uh, I, uh, what, what's the what's the bigger challenge managing a team and an individual athlete? Or one male and one female, if you have Bjorkvin and Katrin. Yeah, I mean, I've done Annie, Annie and Bjorkvin, and then, you know, have right. a Frederick okay. in that mix, have Hendrik in that. Like, I've done this male-female athlete thing, and, and what it looks like in practice is that I don't see anything at the games. You know, that's my experience. I haven't seen the cross Like, the you're games. just looking at the TV sets? I'm looking back. at the TV, or I'm working with the other athlete, getting them ready, and then reviewing footage afterwards. Okay. I rarely go out to see the events. It's also good for my, like... Adrenaline management, you know, like if I go there every time, get hyped, then I don't train to that weekend, you know, at least not enough to kind of get rid of that adrenaline. Uh, I'm going to be cooked by the time of, you know, the weekend is done. So I try to be very conscious of managing that. And typically, yeah, I just have my hands full all the time at the games anyway already. But I think with having team and the individuals, because they're going to be at different venues, that's where we need to have, you know, Frederick as a team member to really help with that process. You know? Is Annie stepping up also? Have you seen a different side of Annie now that she's is she sort of like stepping up into like a this team captain coaching uh, mama role? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and you know she's always had strong thoughts about how things would be done. 
You know, it's not like this is something new. So it's kind of, I feel like it's very natural for her to step in that role. But I also feel like it's important for the team to have everyone capable of stepping up to in that role. You know, it's more like a meritocracy than dictatorship. You know, I don't think, I think that's really like, we should have the best ideas. Whoever has the best ideas, we follow those ideas. And then, but that requires leadership abilities from everyone. And oftentimes the people, you know, if they don't speak up as much, if they say something, mm -hmm. it's going to be so much more powerful. The person who talks all the time, the words just lose meaning, right? So everyone- Tell me about it. Tell me about it. No one in my family listens to me. <laughs> right? So I, I just think it's important that, <clears throat> yes, Annie can take that role, but I, it's been very like a conscious thing of like trying to make sure that everyone can take that role. And especially those who don't feel so comfortable with it will take that role because it's going to be so much more powerful coming from them. Man, I'm excited. Uh, you guys, uh, today is Monday. Friday, you guys take the floor? Yeah, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, yeah. And then will you go back to Iceland or will you go to wherever Katrin's going? Straight no, from there. so go back to Iceland. We'd still have a couple of weeks to train. Train in Iceland and then go to London just before the competition. Okay, so it's not just the following week? No, no. This is like the first weekend and then the other one is the last weekend, so... Uh, who who will go with you and Katrin? Anyone else? So Hendrik is going to be there, Harperleinen, and then we have Ludwig Hansen, who's also Hendrik's training partner. He's been working with us for a long time. How about Frederick? Will he go? Uh, no, not on that trip. He's going to stay and make sure that the other guys, you know, the team is getting taken care of as well. Is it is it is it is it hard for Annie to not go to that and support Katrin? And is it hard for Katrin not to go to, with you guys to Amsterdam? Yeah, to a degree. I think for Annie, obviously with Freya, with with having a child, it's like oh. it's always easier to stay with your baby than to do anything else. Yes, but yes, at the, but at the same time, yes, I'm. They would both love to support each other for sure, and I know that Catherine would love to be here. But you know, she's a professional. She knows she has to train. You know, she she can't take a trip right now. Uh, we're. It looks like we have Annie scheduled for after the semifinals, and I guess this will be a question for her to ask. But man, it must be a trip for her. Uh, she must want to spend. She must be really torn between spending every second with her kid and having to train the way I'm seeing in these videos. Yeah, yeah, and and there's a level of compromise in every direction. I think it's like, I think some training like groups might run very like extremely tight schedules. I always think of, for example, we need to run schedules that will work for this group as a whole, and there's going to be compromise in different directions. But we have to get the work done. Kind of what we alluded to before not have a schedule that doesn't actually work. That's not realistic. So of course there are some like, you know, compromises that have to be done with that. But I think she's doing a good job at managing it, but I'm sure that is very difficult also to, to be a part because, you know, the training has to be done. Yeah. I know my kids are asleep and I don't even want to come do the podcast. Yeah. I'm like, no, I don't want to be there when they wake up. <laughs> nice. Yami. Thank you. I mean, I, I was, it was great to catch up with you. Yeah. It's been so long. Really yeah. I, I I knew that um, before talking to you that you had taken on an, an, an incredible task with that crew of people. And, is, and I was really excited for you. But I also um, uh, am crazy impressed that the, the, you don't show any, show any signs of bearing the weight of all of these people on you. But I know um, from the research and the videos I've done on you and talking to you that you take it fucking with absolute seriousness, um, their well-being. So congratulations. Kudos to you. Congratulations to everyone who gets to work with you. And, uh, and, and hopefully we get to talk again soon. I'm excited. Um, maybe even, um, I can bug you throughout and, and with no pressure, of course, like if you can, you can, you can, you can't, you can, yeah. can, you can, you can, you can't fuck. Exactly. You know what I mean? 
Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, if I can, I will. Okay. So I have your phone number, so I'll text you probably throughout the weekend and try to bug you. If I can get five or 10 minutes, that'd be great. If not, I'll know that I'm sending my love. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah, for me at that time, athletes always come first before me as well. So, but then, yeah, if we can, let's do it. Uh, guys, thanks for um, checking in. Thank you, Diami. And uh, we'll see you guys tonight with uh, Brian Friend as we talk about the semifinals.